You are listening to the Bondzilla Podcast. The Bondzilla Podcast is an ongoing analysis of two of cinema's longest-running franchises, James Bond and Godzilla. This week, we take a look at Matthew Vaughn's love letter to the gentleman spy. It's 2015's Kingsman, The Secret Service. Welcome to another brand spanking new edition of the Bonzilla podcast, unless you're re-listening to it, in which case it is old spanking, old, old spanking. That doesn't, that's not, now we're heading into some like wonky territory. Well, you know, yeah, you know, that's what, when you're, Th- when, when this you're, is what happens when we go off book. When you're, when you're just on the fly. Yeah. Yes. You know, that's, that's what are you doing? Get off, get off your phone. Get off, get off your phone and, and, and enjoy the great indoors. <laughs> no, I'm, just, I'm prepping for the episode. Oh, right. That That's what the audience wants to hear, that yeah. we prep for the episode when we get on the mic. No, I, that, I, that's that's 100% what they want they, they to see. Make sure I have all notes together. So, what, what is it? Are you prepping for the episode? Are you prepped? Well, I'm just, you, you're looking at your notes. You're getting your notes. You're writing your notes. What, what's going on? I'm priming the notes. Yeah. <laughs> a good middle ground yeah. i gotta give it to you there i'm, I'm priming you're priming you, them you know you didn't even, you didn't even really like give me the whole countdown anything on this one you're just like go and I'm no like, i said i honestly i said we are ready and then you honestly then you just took it from there i don't know i was a little bit thrown i, feel, I was feeling a little that, pressured well, how how are you feeling pressured i said we are ready to go you i that's all it takes you hit record is the like yeah because that i not Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Hit <laughs> um, I went. I went to a whole uh, college presentation for that, and I still don't really get it. <laughs> I mean, it's just because at, at a certain it's point, just content. Yeah, but because he's like, "Hey, man, like we get people together, and then they make stuff, and then we put it on the internet." So at a certain point, it's like, isn't that just YouTube? Mm-hmm. Isn't that what that is? Anyway, has anything been going on, Bon? And Godzilla related, I feel like there's always something that we don't that, that there was. Hmm, I can't think of anything. Well, I, I think I don't think we did the um. We talked about the King of the Monsters live no, watch we, along. We have not. Yet. Uh, which was a which was a lot of fun. Yeah. Um, Doherty was online who went ham. On the uh, yeah, I think out of all three directors, went like more so than even I thought he mm-hmm. was going to. I knew he was going to be one of the more verbose of yeah. the uh, directors, because um, as you point out, Vote Roberts was, but then hopped off halfway through. Yeah, and then, and then Edwards was being more cheeky. Yeah, like he, but he had some good stuff. Here's but that- the, here's the thing. I think Edwards was the most just general live tweety in the sense that everything he was saying wasn't necessarily like facts about the movie he was like sure, genuinely sure. like reacting and watching the movie yeah. so it was like kind of the most like regular old like hey he's just live tweeting the movie whereas like yeah Walt Roberts was on his way to being the most intimate about the details yeah and and being the most open especially with with like fans and, and chatting with fans well about also it. But then he yeah he had the he had to speak to 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 um 
John C. Riley. Yeah. Also, the other thing about Edwards is, is like because he talks so little about the movie. Yeah. Like, so his insight was like were little gems. Yeah. Doherty just he like just, he basically like anything you wanted to know about yeah. the movie. Like almost there was like maybe like five tweets per scene <laughs> on like any any subject, and it was pretty awesome. I I I, I thought like just just how deep um he he went it he went into it yeah. and um and, and the whole watch along was just really fun uh because it really did highlight everybody like it, it just brought out the fan base for this series of movies yes. i thought i yeah. it, it was definitely clear i think that after us getting involved into it and just like kind of seeing the reactions um as we were watching along, it, it, it was definitely clear. I think that Kong Skull Island was the favorite uh, of the three. In terms uh, of like a general, yeah, I just yeah, I, yeah. I felt I would agree, I, would agree with I you. felt like in terms of the the actual reaction and input, like I think all the films actually it came out that like a lot of people were actually really celebrating all three of the films. Yes, but just the general kind of like the mentions and everything, it, it seemed like Kong Skull Island brought out um, the most. Uh, even the most general people, because even like you know other like names on Twitter and YouTube came out like like oh I'm gonna tune in for Kong Skull Island. Yeah. Uh, to the point, I, I mean, I said like I, I don't know if I mentioned this on the show. Like I, I, after doing all three of them, I actually wouldn't blame anybody for having that point of view, especially after rewatching them. But yeah. but I think after we watched it, um, because you really this was like. Especially for King of the Monsters was your yeah I mean it was really the first freshest time rewatch since, since theaters yeah mostly because I I had definitely seen Kong, I mean like we had done 2014 for the podcast already yeah and Kong we are still Kong Skull Island we will do a proper episode right. on mm-hmm. uh, sometime down the line um but it definitely I have seen that again mm-hmm. since it came out like once you got it on on blu-ray or whatever we definitely like yeah we've it. also been sitting with the movie a little bit longer yeah. too and it was interesting because king of the monsters it was one of those things where i was very intrigued by going back to it because mm-hmm. um you know like we had we had done it you know we had recorded our reactions and you can go back and listen to to our initial reactions on the movie um back when it first came out mm-hmm. and you know i was kind of thinking well like if depending on you know like will we need to like doing like a mini revisit of it on the podcast or something like that that's true because it's always I mean, because i would even say that my appreciation for it and I, and you you remember like right out of the gate i, I was very mm-hmm. uh, I, you know i was very high on the movie but even certain aspects of my appreciation for it have only changed yeah. uh since then so always that first like right out of the theater reaction is is different and always worth the revisit mm-hmm. uh well but this was anyway sorry i cut you off uh but it was very much like very much an enjoying of it and and, he, and definitely hearing uh doherty's analysis and his reasoning behind a lot of the stuff obviously don't think it's you know i'm still still think it has minor nitpicks here and there but mm-hmm. i think we're we can both safely say that we are still on board with uh um with the, the the film and yeah oh and i mean i'm i mean i'm more I, I mean i'm i mean me i mean out of the two of us me i was like always the most I, on board with I, it but you kind of came out like saying, saying like just as a whole like you were just kind of like high and solid on the series well, in general like was, the what legendary I, what series. i was about to say is that watching all three of them back to back to back weeks in a row really em- emphasized just 
how solidly it does the cinematic universe thing, yeah. which again we've we've I've talked about is really just to me it's just Marvel and Legendary's Godzilla are the only two kind of attempts at a cinematic universe that that come close to being uh, successful mm-hmm. either. Um, and I just think that like really watching those three films in a row and seeing how the thematics shift and 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 match up with each other is mm-hmm. at the same time. I mean, I think your Twitter analysis on just like kind of Kong representing, you know, Kong was, it's a precursor to King of the Monsters right. in terms mm-hmm. of those thematics. It's just, it was very interesting to kind of sit down with all three of them and, and let them marinate. Especially like, and, I, and you had mentioned this while we were doing it, it, distinctively that it is three separate directors doing their own thing within the parameters of like this bigger, like, story of like the monster verse like it's very clear that i mean especially when you go from like godzilla to kong and then and then when you go from kong to godzilla and with king the monsters being like really more of the direct sequel to 2014 there's even kind of like a a shift in that and i and i think we had even mentioned that with like you know the opening of that movie is like the san francisco fight and even that kind of is stylized and looks a little bit different. It's like the same event, but it's from a different point of view. And um, so it just has that different director's voice uh, to it. Um, so, yeah, I mean, and I think overall, I think like the biggest thing, especially when uh, revisiting that movie, like the one biggest thing you and I were in the biggest agreement on was just that all the all the, like the big moments that you really watch it for are spectacular. Like just all like the big Mothra stuff. I mean, best iteration of Ghidorah, which I I think becomes more and more true every Mm rewatch. Like I I think that, um, which may, I just like rewatching it just every time I'm just so impressed how well they do Ghidorah in that movie. Yeah. It's It's just so cool. It's just, he was built for CG. Yeah. Like as much as like seeing the costumes, great. It's just, that's just the fact. And I think you, I think even appreciating a little bit more of Mothra Mm -hmm. on this rewatch as well, uh, for sure. Yeah. So, yeah, so that was fun. Um, and, uh, you know, like, like I said, um, it, I, I really honestly feel like if it were just those three movies, I would be completely happy. Like, especially the way the King of the Monsters ends. Mm-hmm. Like, it's such a great ending. Yeah. And everything comes full circle, especially when you take in consideration, like, the first movie of the bunch. So, you know, if it were only three, that would be perfect. But luckily, we have a, uh, another, one a, a another one coming out eventually yeah. at, at, at at some point. I know people keep bringing up, like, you know, I, I know we, we kind of, it, it's now become like an ongoing segment of, of this show now, of this quarantine era. This is going to be the quarantine era of Bonzilla, where it's just always chatter about what's going to happen to <laughs> Godzilla versus Kong. <laughs> because it's just, it's just such a weird kind of like time period for that movie to be in. And yeah. I'm like, dude, it's not just Godzilla vs. Kong. It's like every movie's asking, I mean, yeah. I asking mean, that question. I mean, now. That's, just, that's the thing, too, is just because, I mean, that's where Bond is right now. Yeah. I mean, the only real thing about Bond yeah. is that. That was, you know, I, I, I found, I saw a lot of that bringing it back to this week's episode. I did see a lot of people, it dawning on people. Because remember when I said, I don't know if I mentioned on Mike, but the, the only time I was, became temporarily sad because, like, in general, like, Listen, I'm even the one who advocates for, you know, theaters, you know, 
that's a tricky proposition and even i wouldn't advocate going back soon is how i feel about it but the one time i did get really temporarily sad about it was when we missed black widow yeah. and i was like oh we missed a marvel movie yeah, i would have like, been seeing a marvel movie right now it's and just like it was this week was that this week it was may right no i think it was like i thought it was like a no i thought it was like may 1st oh well anyway right. uh yeah, no, no, it was because it was like because it was like the same when we were going to do it. It was like oh, it's the same weekend as like the May the fourth or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Um. So anyway, but that that was like a thing I was thinking about. Like, oh man, they're not going to be able to see a Marvel movie. Similarly, I saw a lot on the internet of people being like, I could have been seeing a James Bond movie right now. Like, I saw yeah. a lot of that, which I thought was really interesting. Yeah. I mean, it's just like and some of our friends are even saying that too. You know what though, um personally though like i've been really thinking because it was just may the 4th as we talked about Mm -hmm. and i've been thinking about a lot about those three 1979 sci-fi movies which is moonrakers included in that Mm -hmm. and i don't know i was just reflecting on that that's it that's it yeah nothing it's moonraker star trek the motion picture and black hole right and i've just been reflecting on how those are responses to star wars and you want to come back to earth on this podcast yeah you kind of went floating Floating off into space I mean, right that's, there. That's just what I've been thinking about, really. Yeah, no, I know. Let's come back. <laughs> we, we got a movie that we do got a movie to talk yeah. about. No, but like I, I don't know. That that's kind of what I, yeah. I, I mean, it's noticed. just we're all in limbo, and it's like the thing is like because again, if if never, if not never, to you know, it's you know, it'd be awkward if that movie is about like a virus. <laughs> Like, I know, like, so much has happened, but remember, like, that was kind of one of those things. Like, well, that was during the time when you're like. Where the delay in a movie was more out of a concern of political correctness. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, those are simpler times. Time. So, like, if that movie comes out and that is what it's about, yeah. that is going to be so funny. Yeah. I mean, like, it's one of the things, like, it was kind of funny watching our movie today uh, and thinking oh, about Oh, yeah, it, yeah. And, and thinking about just the That's general so true. aspect of it. So, uh, yeah, let's get into it. So, today's movie, um, Kingsman, Secret Service. Yes. Right? Yeah. Golden yeah. Circle is the next one. Yes. Yeah. Yes. This, Secret Service. What, what year was this movie? So it's tw- it's general release of 2015, but, but all like the Wikipedia and stuff does the annoying thing where it's like, well, it debuted at a festival oh, in 2014. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's like, it's a 2014 movie, but really it, it came out in 2015. So it's a 2015 right. motion picture. Yeah. Uh, I remember. I remember this movie. I saw, I saw this in theaters. Yeah. But when I think about it, I do remember it being that kind of thing where it was kind of like there was chatter about it beforehand. Right. There was like a buzz building up about it when mm-hmm. it, it first came out. Yeah. All right. Should we, should we start? Yes. About go Kingsman? ahead. Okay. That was your segue. All right. You're not doing well with like the segues. You're either well, no, one you, second you early. Off, you trail off a little bit there. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Because yeah. well, the trailing off and then you pick it up. That well, was, the, the, I, I handed you the baton and I walked off. Well, the, the thing about buzz would have been great about like leading into directly talking about the film but we still got all the development of it to go or your what your segue could have just been like well before there was bus <laughs> there were bees yeah <laughs> but let's go all the way back to the hive and talk about how they made the honey of this movie all right <laughs> so yeah so it says kingsman the secret service directed and co-written by matthew vaughn so the story of the development of Kingsman begins sometime 
in nebulous time in 2010, 2011-ish. Basically, around the time that Matthew Vaughn is uh, directing X-Men First Class. Um, I, it was really funny because I couldn't f- pin down a date on terms of when this happened. It was just either before he started filming X-Men First Class or right after it wrapped. Uh, but it, just in this time period, Matthew Vaughn, was uh decided to uh get drinks with his friend uh Mark Millar mm-hmm. um because they had become good friends because Matthew Vaughn had directed uh an adaptation of Millar's comic book Kickass. Uh, Mark Millar of course is a uh, comic book writer um who is kind of known for stuff like Kickass, Kingsman, um bunch of other the Millarverse as it is. Um, so they decided to, you know, hey, um, let's hang out, like get get together, have some drinks, um, chat up, catch up. And as they were discussing life, movies, all the stuff, you know, how they were doing, they got in this point of lamenting the current state of the spy genre mm-hmm. um, because they were talking about movies they loved. Uh, Matthew Vaughn was a big fan of kind of, you know, the more era bond movies and everything like that and he had just talked about how you know in the post born post casino royale world it just seemed like everything was too serious because of course again this was you know like where mission impossible was at this point too was like you know still in that three four realm where it's like it's definitely like over the top but still has a serious streak to it kind of um where that it didn't really get until um rogue nation or it's like kind of really gets huge and huge and, you know, like, and a man from uncle hasn't come out yet. So it's just basically like, oh, like everything's super serious. And Vaughn's never admitted this, but my conspiracy theory is he feels kind of guilty about it because he directed uh, Layer Cake, which mm-hmm. is the movie that, you know, Kathleen, uh, not Kathleen, I keep kidding, Kathleen Kennedy, Barbara Broccoli mm-hmm. saw Daniel Craig in and it was like, hey, that's our bond. And mm-hmm. then they're off to the races there. <laughs> that's a funny connection. It is. Uh, while they were discussing this, Molar talks to Vaughn about a idea that he's been kind of pushing around since he's kind of had a similar feeling about kind of this uh, spy organization in America and just kind of a, a story about um, kind of a new recruit within that agency. And Vaughn likes the idea but convinces Molar that he needs to make it a British organization because that's like the classic, absolute classic spies, the gentleman spy, and, and kind of play with that genre. So they kind of go back and forth about this idea, this kind of general, kind of slightly vague spy idea. And Vaughn gets very excited about it, and he basically tells Millar, listen, if you do get this out, it would be great to kind of use this as source material to pitch because I really always wanted to do a spy movie. Mm. So, you know, first class is a big success. He's, um, you know, Vaughn is basically continuing on with the X-Men franchise at this point. He's going to direct the next of these kind of prequel X-Men movies, Days of Future Past. When in 2012, Millar releases Kingsman, the Secret Service, uh, with art by David Gibbons Mm -hmm. of Watchmen fame. And... Uh, Millar's like, hey man, we're getting this book published. So are you still interested, you know, in in kind of doing the directing? Because you know, I love the what you did with Kick Ass, and I'd love for you to take this work. And because I know you're so excited about it, and Vaughn basically 
is like immediately like yes but then realizes he's in a pickle because mm-hmm. he's already committed to days of future past mm-hmm. and he's like well i am i love the x-men too i love working with this cast and you know days of future past is one of the great you know x-men stories i can play with it but man i want to direct a spy movie i want to develop this spy movie and he goes back and forth in this a long time and he basically comes to the conclusion of well if i don't direct this somebody else is going to it's usually how movies work and this i will miss my chance to make a fun spy movie because the genre needs to be fun again mm. so and then also hopping back real quick um just because i think it may for those who don't know because we don't really get to kind of get into comics that much on this podcast um so for those you not as familiar with mark millar Mm -hmm. um i would say one of the um uh one of the more famous voices in in comics especially especially of late um especially like independent you know like basically like um most if not all of his work is basically kind of you like original content and um you know like not really working within the confines of like you know he'll like get published by like certain aspects of marvel and dc but it's not necessarily like he's not going to be writing the batman book you know no he i think he he's mostly known for even if he does do some of the superhero work um which he tends to have a love-hate relationship with yes um it will be for like you know a a specific specific, like like, like, thing like like Old Man Logan, right? Like, yeah, um, was like is, is right. like if, one of the even bigger if, yeah, ones. If, if he does, it's going to be his take, right? On it. And um, and it's Mark Millar is interesting because he definitely has good, notable books. I think I, I think that's fair to say. Yeah, but he also he is not also he's somebody not without controversy mm-hmm. either. Um, and I think one of the things just on a compu- on a purely just surface level point of view with his work. I think that there is, there tends to be the criticism sometimes, especially when he gets into his pro, like when he's working with other properties, that there are a lot of times where his concept is better than what the book actually is. Mm-hmm. Um, or like, you know, for instance, like old man Logan, I think is a good man is, is a good man. Example is a good example of this, where I think that that concept of old man Logan is really cool. And then like maybe within like over the course of the series is probably like fun on that surface level. But I don't think anybody ever really goes to bat for it being like, Oh, it's like a great like story. And I think oftentimes Millar gets into that realm. Um, And then, but, and then the other thing is that Millar publishes so much He's just one of those people that there's so much with his name on it, yeah. and there's a lot that people want to adapt. Mm-hmm. And I think the two are kind of correlated in yeah. that, because I think the concepts that he comes up with are fun enough that everybody kind of wants, to the point where, doesn't hasn't he had like multiple deals with people, or like yeah, and, a big Netflix deal at yeah, one point? The, the, the Netflix deal is still in discussion where it was like his whole Malarverse, mm-hmm. uh, like his in-universe yeah. thing is, is there. And also the thing is, is that he tends to also write a lot of like adult yes. slash kind of more he's violent, a very deconstructionist yeah. like type of and then you know and people kind of you know sometimes have mixed feelings on like you're right adult hyper violent yeah. mature kick-ass is content a, you know, kick-ass is a perfect even old man logan again yeah. is like even when he gets in that superhero realm he still kind of 
goes that next step. Yeah, it, it was funny. I listened to a uh, I listened to a um, uh, podcast with him, and it was funny that he admitted that that was like more his style or his taste. But then when somebody asked him about what he wanted to do next. He did say, like, because he had just seen Guardians of the Galaxy. Yeah. And then he was kind of like, he's like, I don't know, man. I'm kind of, like, into maybe doing something more like that. Like, So I thought it was kind of, like, fun <laughs> that, like, you know, he's a little bit introspective about himself and his work. But anyway, so that's just a kind of, like, an insight into. And I've never read uh, Kingsman, the comic. Right. I mean, there, there's gonna- actually a, a big. I will openly admit that I am more familiar with the adaptations of Millar's work than the actual work itself. Yeah, and actually, I'll talk a little bit about that process uh, once we get into Vaughn actually doing the movie. But first, he's got to make this decision, as we were talking about, of what to do, because he's locked in to do uh, X-Men Days of Future Past, but he knows that this is his opportunity, and truly, like, this spy movie is what he's passionate about, and just is capturing imagination. So Vaughn approaches his bosses at 20th century Fox and basically is like, listen, I had a lot of fun with X-Men, but there's this other comic, this Kingsman spy comic basically does a pitch for 20th century Fox and said, I really, really want to do this movie. So Vaughn proposes a deal. He will trade places with Brian Singer. So Brian Singer will direct X-Men Days of Future Past and mm-hmm. Vaughn will help produce. And he will work out a deal with Millar to give 20th Century Fox the rights to Kingsman, the Secret Service. And basically all parties agree. Uh, the bosses at 20th Century Fox love the pitch and see Vaughn's passion for the material. Brian Singer is totally like, yeah, I'll direct again. Why not? Mm-hmm. You know, it's Brian Singer. Right. Uh, I don't need to say much. Yeah. <laughs> um, and 20th Century Fox is like, looks and it's like, this is another new original potential franchise for us. This right. is basically like the new IP thing. So uh, the deal is basically done and Vaughn leaves X-Men Days of Future Past to sign on to Kingsman, the Secret Service. Now, Vaughn uh, co-writes the film with his normal screenwriter. Uh, give me a second. My notes dipped away. Uh, Vaughn uh, writes, co-writes the film with his normal screenwriter, uh, Jane Goldman. Mm-hmm. And they, uh, Vaughn's approach to the movie is a couple of things. One is that he knows from his work with Millar on Kick-Ass that Millar has no real qualms with, you know, the, 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 the movie doesn't have to be the source material. That, you know, Vaughn can make it his own. And actually, I forgot to mention that Vaughn is actually credited uh, on the cover of Kingsman, The Secret Service. Um, as, even though he didn't actually co-write it, he contributed so many ideas mm. that, that he's actually noted as um, you know credited on the cover of the book. Um, but Millar is basically like, Vaughn, do what you want to do. It's your movie. You know, Use the inspiration. So, um, so Vaughn and his co-writer discuss... And Vaughn's uh, idea for the movie, his his goal, is to basically make a Raiders of the Lost Ark version of Moonraker, <laughs> in the sense that <laughs> Spielberg, when he made, you know, you talked about when Spielberg, when he made Raiders of the Lost Ark, mm-hmm. he was basically taking all the stuff you watched as a kid, all those like serials and adventure type of films, and brought it into kind of a 
movie that was like a modern package. It was like that 50s serial, that 40s serial for the 80s. And Vaughn wanted to do the same thing. He wanted to take those Roger Moore movies he loved as a kid. Uh, Moonraker especially is the one he always brings up. And wanted to kind of put it into a 2010s package, you know, with a little bit more, you know, the technology and the violence and 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 just basically make it a modern version of that. Mm-hmm. Um, and the other thing, one of the other major contributions that Vaughn had made to the original pitch uh, from Millar is that Millar had said it was a new recruit. And then Vaughn was basically said, well, wouldn't it be interesting if it was kind of like a, someone from a different type of class than we're usually seeing the spy? And Millar then realized that works because Millar knew the story of um, Terrence Young casting Sean Connery as James Bond, even though, you know, like Fleming had always seen it as that kind of David Devane gentleman character. Whereas, you know, Terrence Young saw this kind of brash kid from, you know, Edinburgh, Scotland, kind of bigger guy, and basically molded him into becoming James Bond. We talked about that in the first episode where, like, you know, Terrence Young brought him out to the suits and taught him, you know, how to drink a martini and 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 basically kind of coached Connery to be that cool spy that, you know, makes Connery so iconic. So basically that element translated into Millar's book, and Vaughn wanted to expand upon that mm-hmm. in some ways. Um, so... Again, no qualms about changing the script. For example, in the original book, it's um, Eggsy's uncle, Eggsy, our main character, his uncle that brings him into the Kingsman, whereas Vaughn felt that, you know, kind of bringing in more, even more of an outsider, someone who doesn't really know the character that well, uh, would essentially be, um, make, give the film a little bit more of that emotional weight that he wanted. Um, as well as another major change that he makes is that in the book, um, the villain is the professor uh, mm-hmm. who's in this movie played by Mark Hamill. Mm-hmm. And that whole thing is the professor's kidnapping celebrities because he's going to make sure, you know, make kill everybody through this kind of violent signal. Whereas Vaughn wanted specifically his dream. Again, he wanted to make that modern day movie maker. So he wanted something a little bit more in that realm of the traditional Bond take over the world, megalomaniac. Mm-hmm. Some of that, something that was more in the realm of Hugo Drax, Carl Stromberg, Blofeld. So he transitions that Mark Hamill character to being kind of another character in the plot, mm-hmm. and then creates the Valentine villain because he wants it to be. He wants it to be a Bond versus Blofeld moment, just you know his own spin on it. Oh, okay, cool, yeah. Um, so, and I'm, there'll be a couple more things I want to talk about. So some interesting changes, but I think some of those will be more dedicated to the movie itself. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, so then we get to the casting of the movie. Mm -hmm. Um, so the first person to sign on is one of our lead characters, Colin Firth Mm -hmm. as Harry Hart slash Galahad. Um, which was kind of like at the time I remember was like one of like the big announcements especially like when it came out like what the movie was yeah. in the fact that like he was essentially going to be like an action star mm-hmm. in this movie right cuz Colin Firth was definitely not known no. for, for being that type no of- i think he he always has a funny i don't know i think either he tells the story or it's kind of one of those stories that's told about him being in this movie that like i think he must have told it where he, uh that the only fight scene that he was in before this was like in Bridget Jones or something like that and like he always talks about that and it's like so it's like kind of like it was nice to sink his teeth into like some actual fight which to be fair is something that 
as I see either of these movies, um, it, it's still a little surreal. Like, and in an awesome way. Like that. You, like every now and then, when you watch this movie, you're like, "Oh, that's Colin Firth." Yeah. Like you know, beating up people. And really, if the thing was about Colin Firth is that he was very eager to have a change of pace. That when this kind of role came across him, he just thought, you know, same thing as Vaughn. He loved kind of the old Bond movies mm. and just kind of the play that type of character was really interesting to him. And also, again, like he hadn't done any fight scenes before. So he was very eager to jump in most of his own fight scenes and stunts because it was just something solely refreshing to mm. him. Um I believe, in fact, that he said just because of the way that the fighting, you know, it wasn't a lot of, like, it was a lot of, like, choreography, not as much for him as kind of, like, big flips and stuff like that. So he could do a lot of that fight sequences on his own and kind of take the take the training and the choreography um, and just go for it. And he had an absolute blast on this movie. Um also, someone who's having a blast on this movie is Samuel L. Jackson. Oh, yeah. Uh, who plays, oh, oh, yes. Who plays our main villain, Richmond Valentine. So um, it was always the uh, first choice because, again, Vaughn was very eager to kind of take different people that really weren't in these types of movies. Like, obviously, Jackson had done a lot. You know, he's still, like, one of the most prolific, like, actors in Hollywood. Oh, sure. Yeah. But, like, like, you just never saw Samuel L. Jackson in, like, this type of spy movie, mm-hmm. you know? So uh, and also in personal life, notoriously known as one of those actors who wants to be in movies like this. Yes. Like he, yeah. you know, the big. It's kind of that funny crossover where he is in so much, yet he's so respected. Yeah, you know what I mean. Like and, he, he's like it, it is. It is a funny like very few actors I think kind of have that same type of clout. Yeah, and it was one of those things where it just seemed like the roles fit together perfectly because like. There was like the infamous thing where you know at one there was the only other rumored actor for the role was like Leonardo DiCaprio, but then Vaughn. Oh, could you imagine? Vaughn, Vaughn basically shot that down and said that he was you know never considered. And and his quote on on Leo was like he was as close to the role of Valentine as I am to becoming the Pope. Like, yeah. That was, like, yeah okay. Thing. Fair enough. But the thing is, is that Samuel Jackson was not only like very game to do this; he had always wanted to play a Bond villain. That was like the one thing on his list. Oh, that's funny. I didn't that was, know, that I was didn't the one that. thing on his list that like he never thought he would have the chance to do and he saw, you know, the offer and he's like, "Well, especially with the directions they are now and like the actors they cast, they're not going to put me as a Bond villain, so might as well do this." Oh, that's that's so cool. And one of the famous stories about Jackson on this movie is that um the first take, he just started doing a lisp. Um, yes, I this I did know without about telling this story. anybody, yeah. and then once Vaughn, you know, Vaughn let him do the scene and said cut, and went up to him and talked about it and he said, "Well, uh, Jackson's like, well, you know, all the Bond villains have some sort of thing about them. They mm-hmm. have some sort of you know physical disability, you know, like that sort of thing. And I used to have a lisp as a kid before I got into acting. So this is all just like kind of bringing it back to like how I used to talk and and thought that it would just be a fun little detail." Uh, for the character, yeah, so that's he awesome. was very much all in on uh, the the movie. Um, we also have, uh, of course, our lead, Taron Egerton, uh-huh. um, as Gary Eggsy Unwin, and this was kind of one of those things where, like, obviously Taron had had done things in his career. Th- but this, this was the breakout. But this was this was literally like they were trying to find someone that was just on like not really that famous like yeah. that was he was on 
the edge of fame. Like it was, I feel like with Taron Egerton, it was one of those things where he, it was almost inevitable that he was going to find his breakout role. But Vaughn was very eager to find, you know, audition and find somebody that had like kind of that, that fresh take on it, especially with kind of the, the, um, the class difference that he wanted, you know, mm-hmm. cause you know, the, you needed that very specific accent and, and just a very different way of, of going about, you know, your manner. Cause you were having, cause it's also like, you know, he's casting people like Michael Caine for that reason that mm. these are, you know, in Colin Firth because they're gentlemanly people. Uh, and so Taron Edgerton just kind of got out there and um, basically nailed everything. And he, he basically was like, again, totally something different, you know, had to get in shape and, and all that sort of stuff. And um, he was kind of, it was wild for him to be working. You know, one of the things that was wild just to be working with, Colin Firth. And, oh, sure. And, and, and yeah, Jan- it's Samuel like, Jackson. Especially, like, you're going into, like, this movie with Colin Firth and Samuel Jackson, but then also in, like, these roles that you don't expect. It's 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 quite a find uh, to, to get in the movie. Um, So, a couple other... I mean, we should mention Mark Strong. Mark as Strong. As Merlin. Yeah. Because uh, kind of the Q type of character in this movie. And same thing. It's just, like, he's a type of actor who definitely has no qualms about being... In things. In things. Yeah, I mean, it's Mark Strong. And but it's like, I, I think I, I think the thing about Mark Strong was somebody said, like, well, he's not a villain in this, but I think this was, may have been him as a villain. But I think somebody said, like, casting Mark Strong would be considered extraordinarily lazy if he just wasn't great in everything that exactly, he's in. Exactly, yeah. yeah. And again, it's just another person who's just like, this is just, you know, being a Bond movie, like, why not? Like, mm-hmm. this is a kind of, everybody just likes... Everybody who reads the script, you just hear the same story over and over again. It was just jazz to be in this type of movie. And I think there was kind of this coalition on the cast that was just like, not necessarily like anti the direction of like Casino Royale and, and the Bourne films and right. kind of where those were, but it was just kind of like, it was almost at this point kind of refreshing because you really hadn't seen a movie like that since Die Another Day in 2002. So almost a decade earlier. So kind of like, having that kind of old school style to it, quote unquote, like kind of, again, that Raiders of the Lost Ark version of Moonraker style was just refreshing to everybody who put their hands on the script. And I think that even these, you know, these actors who are in a lot of things like Mark Strong and, and Samuel L. Jackson and Michael Caine all kind of saw the fun that they would be having mm-hmm. on a movie like this. A uh, couple other castings to quickly mention. Um, we have our, our other main female lead, uh, Sophia Cox, uh, Cookson. Mm. as Roxy um just that one was just the role was kind of uh there was kind of a lot of people considered uh Emma Watson you know oh, that, that would have been funny if they were going for someone bigger and uh, uh Bella Heathcote uh that's probably not how she say her name but you know but basically just again just another audition type of thing and mm. boom in there you're talking but it's like you're, you're bearing the lead on the on the real Sophia that, yes. that's in it, it, that's in the movie yes so we have uh sophia uh oh, Putella. Wanna, okay i was i was seeing how you're gonna pronounce as, that one <laughs> as, as the henchman yes. of the movie yeah uh, gazelle so what's interesting about this because this was also kind of her breakout too yes. yeah the original intention by vaughn was to cast an actual double amputee mm-hmm. in the role because the pr- thing about gazelle in that in the book it's a he has prosthetic legs, yeah. but Vaughn, it's a dude. It's a dude. Yeah. But Vaughn basically wanted to up it and said, I don't care who I cast, but they're going to basically have more specific, like a more specific, like style of legs, mm-hmm. like more, 
knife. It is like more specific because in the book it's really just kind of prosthetic mm-hmm. kind of legs. This one they're more designed and right. more kind of like basically wearing knives on her legs for lack of a better term. Um, so they first ask um, WMPT Olympic snowboarder Amy Purdy, mm-hmm. mm. and she was interested in the role, uh, but then filming got delayed, mm-hmm. and so she said she didn't want to miss the next Olympics, so she dropped out. They also asked um, uh, uh, WMTT runner Oscar Pistorius, uh, South African, who was very famous around that time for basically kind of pushing to compete in the Olympics as well um, instead of the Paralympics, which he had been before. Um, the ironic thing about this one is that very specifically, uh, he was asked if he could play a killer. Um, and if you know the story of Oscar Spasorius, he would actually uh, be arrested years later for murder. Oh, oh shoot. <laughs> uh, so it was just kind of that little funny thing. But then when those two didn't work out, just because they both wanted the, at that time, both of them uh, wanted to focus on their sports. Vaughn decided, well, we just need to cast this role and, you know, because uh, you wanted someone athletic, you know, and and just someone they needed to be in. So they started to do auditions for the role. And Sofia Futella did achieve the role right. as well. And because I, I know her big, like, hit, like she has a big background in dance, too, if yes, from what yes, I remember. Yes, yes. Yeah, so so that was basically like that was thing. like kind of a major thing is that, again, looking for that athletic person who can really nail kind of the the specifics of it because when when he was going for the an actual wmdt which is like well someone who's familiar with you know being that way you know and and being able to move and function oh sure as De- a L- listen he definitely gets the points for the inclusion yeah. aspect of it but like as you were telling the story i can just imagine it's like twice in a row you're trying to get like somebody who could feasibly do this and yeah. then you're just getting scheduling conflict out of scheduling conflict that like you know it's a good it was a good attempt but you know like now we just we just got to find somebody to do it yeah um so basically that is your main cast um and then they basically get right into filming on the first day of filming will is the water scene that's in the movie oh yes yeah they're the the when they're like in the like the room yeah so basically, uh, just by scheduling and, and special effects stuff, this was basically the first bit of filming in the movie. And Vaughn just remembered it was just a really rough first day because it was basically like they had issues with the computers and, you know, all this, all the things went haywire and the water started filling in too fast and everybody was just freaking out and they eventually kind of fixed it. But he was like, this was just like the worst possible way you could start filming a movie because mm-hmm. it's like one of your big kind of th- scenes. You just want to get it out of the way in that, in that realm. And, uh, essentially it just all goes wrong. Luckily the rest of the movie pretty much goes very smoothly. Um, you know, it's like a lot of times with these modern productions, you don't really get the stories on like all the things that, right. Unless and, something really bad. And, happens, something, yeah. something really, really goes off. Um, what was kind of noted is that there were a lot of rumors about celebrity cameos throughout the movie because mm-hmm. in the book that's a major plot point. And while celebs are mentioned in the movie, that was never really a consideration, mostly because, um, as noted by the team themselves, that they basically had one-third the budget of Skyfall's $2 million, $200 million. Right. So that was kind of also the thing is that you know they were trying to make the, the big Bond movie without like kind of a modern bond budget so they they were just uh 
Going which is funny it. when you consider the style and scope of this film. Yes. Like, it's interesting. Like, and, and then you compare it to, like, a Bond movie that is so lacking in anything extraordinarily visual. So it's just really funny that, like, that, uh, that on the lesser budget, that's what they're making. But really what you can really feel, just in terms of when you hear about the, the film and you hear about the making of it, is just the passion. And the passion for making this something great because one of the things about Vaughn and I, I will touch on this again once we get to the the aftermath of the movie but Vaughn has essentially claimed his own ownership on Kingsman where it is yes it's technically an adaptation of Millar's work mm. but really Vaughn on this movie is crafting his own universe his own James Bond mm. mm-hmm. and Everybody who works on the movie can just, you can just hear the stories of Vaughn, just the detail that he has about the Kingsman history and the, the relationships and kind of the, the way in which Kingsman work in the world. And then obviously how he expands upon that in those other movies, that's all coming from him. And it just lit a fire under the entire cast and even 20th Century Fox, because 20th Century Fox saw... You know, they were seeing, like, this was like, okay, well, this is kind of an extra movie we got out of this guy who was work with us for X-Men. Um, so he was kind of working on, on the movie, and as they saw it coming in, it's like, we really have a potential here. So they went all in on Oh, you, you could tell the confidence leading into this movie, because I think there's a lot of, like, potentially cool movies that in retrospect you can be like, oh, they didn't really push that the studio didn't really push that in the marketing all that much. But this was one of those movies where you could tell that the energy behind it was the studio was like, look at this brand new shiny thing that yeah. we're about to deliver. And because it, it, it did have a, not like a forced kind of marketing campaign, but a really like, I thought an effective one because it was out there just enough. And they're like, here, you know, here it is. It, it actually going back to a movie that we did talk about, it reminded me a lot of like Pacific Rim. And mm-hmm. how like um, legendary at, at the time was really pushing like here's like your new big original property. Um, so in that in that way it was successful, I think. And it was like Fox like made deals to make like really expensive Kingsman suits, mm-hmm. like like with actual tailors from around the world, and you know they kind of debuted it at like a a festival in late 2014. As we kind of mentioned about the buzz and let that buzz grow into 2015. Uh, to the movie's actual release. Um, and it was another thing about um, just the style. They wanted to push it out there. And and everybody saw potential in terms of this as a series of films. Uh, even Vaughn said that, you know, if we don't make this a franchise, then somebody messed up somewhere. Because, you know. Uh, but it really was. It was just a direct response to what was going on in James Bond in the spy world and, mm-hmm. and Vaughn, I think more so than anything has, has kind of found his calling in, in a sense. Like he found this awoke something in him. Mm-hmm. And I think that it definitely showcases itself. Cool. Well, let's talk about it. Yeah. Let's get into the movie. Let's talk about Kingsman, the secret service. All right. What do you see? Someone who wants to know what the fuck is going on. I see a young man with potential. A young man who is loyal, who can do as he's asked, and who wants to do something good with his life. Did you see the film Trading Places? No. How about Nikita? 
pretty woman? All right. My point is that the lack of a silver spoon has set you on a certain path, but you needn't stay on it. If you're prepared to adapt and learn, you can transform. Oh, like in My Fair Lady. Oh, the awful of surprises. Yes, like My Fair Lady. Only in this case, I'm offering you the opportunity to become a Kingsman. A tailor? A Kingsman agent. Like a spy? Of sorts. Interested? You think I've got anything to lose? All right. And we're back. Yes. Uh, you hadn't seen this since theaters. No. Which I, I which I not. was a little bit surprised to learn. No, that's wrong. It's yeah. Not wrong. Yeah. I mean, no, that's wrong. Wait, what? I did not see this in theaters. You didn't see this? Wait, what? That's what you? I thought that's what you told me. No, I didn't see it in theaters. You showed it to me when we first like moved into this apartment, like back all the way back. Oh, like back, like like around twenty, maybe twenty sixteen. Oh, okay, all right, yeah. all right. So, so, yeah, so it I, wasn't that long ago, but no. I mean that's still a significant yeah. time. Yeah, I had not seen it since you first showed me uh, yeah. the movie. Yeah, I, I I saw this in theaters, and I, I was more familiar with it because I had seen it a, a couple a couple yeah. different times. Um, so yeah, so leading into it, um, kind of p- piggybacking off of what I was saying earlier was. It was fascinating going into this movie. Yeah. Because... Back, back then or now? Back then. Okay. Because while there was a level of like, oh, like this looks interesting and like fun, it, it, it is funny because you could, you did tell, there was already the preemptive conversation about the film that it was already taking up that uh opposite side to the spy genre thing like it was already clear that everybody was talking about this is the answer to the serious bond uh or the serious spy movie thing but at the same time i remember kind of like interest intrigued but not as interested because i I just felt like all right like just the notion of doing like because i feel like there had been comedies about it i feel like there had been other like maybe minor attempts at like trying to do like something like this where it's like oh it's like a spoof on bond i guess like the the marketing didn't the one thing that i think it didn't quite capture me on was like really the tone Mm -hmm. of the movie like you knew it was going to be an action movie but I don't think you could get a real grasp on the style and the humor right, and, yeah. and the tone of it through the irreverence that it has in it. You you didn't because in some ways the movie it's not it it kind of is in like that like, like, like that uh, our man Flint category mm-hmm. where it's not a full on parody right of exactly it. yeah um, that it's definitely earnest and taking itself seriously. But one of the brilliant things about the movie, admittedly, is that it's piggybacking off of everything you know about the spy genre very deceptively because it never feels that way. Like there, there's some little call outs every now and, and then. But I think for the most part, it's doing that to, to as you, what you said earlier, to create its own world. So mm-hmm. by the end of it you kind of are on board with like the Kingsman and the world of the Kingsman being its own thing. And all, and half of the work was already done throughout the movie by you already knowing tropes and, uh, you know, different aspects of like how it works. Like, so like, for instance, like just the fact that there's like a big gadget room, 
like you know the gadgets and what all the gadgets do are somewhat new to this series like about what they do like with like what each thing does but you already know that that's a trope from the bond movies and yes they're being like wink wink about it but also earnest enough where like you know you're buying into the fiction of the world i guess the point i'm trying to make is that it's using all that material that you know um without being like overly satirical or parody or or a deconstructionist of all those elements mm-hmm. and does it to prop itself up. And I think that may be one of the bigger strengths of the movie that I think, because you're right. Like by the end, it's like between this and the second movie, the Kingsman kind of universe is it's like own little spy thing. Yeah. So I, I, I think that's kind of a, a big success of the movie that I find interesting from a storytelling and directing standpoint. Yeah. Um, I'm going to be honest. Uh, I went into this movie, this watch of it. Um, I just was just for some reason I was expecting to not like it as much as I mm-hmm. had, or I think I, I for some reason I had just had like a mixed memory of the movie mm-hmm. that I felt like oh you know maybe it was good but maybe it wasn't as good as some people say like I just just wasn't really like feeling like it I I knew this was something we had to watch mm-hmm. for the for the for the podcast but. It was just one of those things where it's like, okay, am I gonna be, am I gonna be the guy that has to like break this down? Mm. I don't know what I was thinking because yeah. this movie is thoroughly entertaining. Oh no, all the way. Through. Yeah, I guess I should have more so introduced with my thoughts about the movie. I, I think this is a great movie. I think it's, I think this is a great film, and I, I, I think it's, it's just appreciation for, for it is just upped by having done really this podcast and being able to kind of see the whole scope of the Bond franchise. Because I think the one thing is that you're right in the sense that it does piggyback, it does kind of take a lot of that love, you know, that what what has been done in Bond. But I think it's very much in that Raiders of the Lost Ark way where it's like, it's not making fun of it. You know, sometimes it'll call out, you know, like a, a thing or two. Yeah. Make things ridiculous. But at the end of the day, it really is showcasing a reverence and a love for that stuff. Like that gadget thing, thing scene you talk about. Like, you know, like, another movie would have been more, you know... Like I think it would have leaned into the leaned jokes into a little bit or, more. Or Taron Edgerton would have been calling out more of just the ridiculousness of everything. But mm-hmm. the way that they treat it in this movie is just that all, all the gadgets have their purpose. They're taken seriously. You know, um, you know, it's, again, it's plant and payoff of those classic Bond movies where it's just like, yeah, of course they have, like, the knife shoe and they have, you know, the, the ring that, um, you know, electrocutes people and stuff. And... It's not like they're saying, "Oh, like this is all old hat." It's mm-hmm. like, no, this is this is kind of part of the fun of it. Like even the thing about the movie is that you have your main character Colin Firth and Harry Hart and and like Merlin, and they're doing all this training of the people. And what it really showcases is like why all this spy stuff is fun. Why like we enjoy all those like you know Connery and Moore era films because there is that kind of ridiculousness but it's earnest and it's takes itself seriously within the world. The threat is real. Right. The heroism is real. So it really does. You can feel like Vaughn's love for stuff like Moonraker in this movie, because you can, when you really break it down, you can see just how the similarities of just, again, not necessarily specifically, like it's not like a remake or it's not exactly that way, but you can see how he can take like those classic bond fight scenes and kind of the big, like, uh, you know, uh, 
charging at the layer at the end and, right, and right. like the henchman stuff and and the gadgets and it's like you can take all that and this big big huge save the world you know this is if we don't succeed the world's like over stakes and again it just takes it all seriously with itself while still presenting a fun story and presenting i believe a great emotional central set of characters yeah and i think this just kind of came to my mind right now is that it is kind of a lesson in how narrow-minded we can like look at uh how we describe some of these films uh we had this kind of like conversation about knives out recently where you know on the back of the box like it was it said something like or maybe a review of it was like oh it's a good riff on the on on the spy or or on the the mystery genre genre. and it's like well is it really a riff or is it just like a A good mystery a good mystery that it just happens to have like you know yeah yeah, i i think that definitely we're in the period of when something is funny it's like people think it's like a riff of it like or is it just that it just happens to be funny or it's a comedy or whatever um so in a similar way I, i think there would be a lot of people and and i'm even kind of guilty of this at times too by calling this like you know an alternative riff on the James Bond franchise, you know, or like James Bond. But really when you think about it and you watch the movie, it really isn't like a James Bond equivalent. Like, you know, I think you can make that argument with something like our man Flint, but like really other than their spies and every now and then they kind of hint at a trope. It really is, isn't. And I think that should be noticed because it really does carve out its own, like kind of like like place in the spy field because when you think about it what is really bond there's nothing really bond ish about right anything going on like and it's right right down to like you know uh not only the characters but just like the whole ethos of the of, of what the kingsmen are and just like you know what they stand for and everything it is completely different like so yeah. I, I do think it may be a little bit derivative and, you know, again, I'm guilty of it too by calling it kind of like an equivalent to, to Bond in that way. Um, but but for me, I, I, I have all, I think this is one of those movies where sometimes you can forget about how solid it is. Yes. It's a, it's a, it's a super fun movie. I think all the characters, you love all the characters by the end of the movie. Um, I think the villains are great. Uh, the the um, the the villain duo of Samuel Jackson, Sophia Batella, I think are my favorite. Like you know, not to make the comparison, even though I said not to make the comparison, but they are my favorite Bond villains because that may be the most direct parallel to a Bond. I think yeah. because Valentine is definitely a like a Blofeld like character with like a Hugo Drax type plot. Yeah. Um, and Sophia Batella is probably the best use of the. Let's do a modern version of the the um, the henchman always has like some sort of deformity. Yeah, it's definitely like not not to call like somebody without legs a deformity. That's not what I meant. But well, like, like a gimmick. Yeah, they have a gimmick. They, they have a gimmick. You know, it's like you know, like it's like not Ajav doesn't have a deformity, but he has the hat, and right. you know, Jaws has the teeth and yeah. all this sort of stuff. So, so it's definitely like yeah, this was because uh, that is one of those. It's so simple. But instantly iconic. Like yeah, it, you're a, almost mad that you didn't come up with it for something else. I would agree. It's just it's distinctly like if you were still like making Bond movies in that style, like you, you know, you'd be kicking yourself for right. like not doing that because it's such a genius, like based in real real world, but like kind of to eleven, right? Like way and, and 
And another thing about it too is like it, it also deceptively hides some smaller th- thematic things in the movie. Like there's definitely, without being really a, the movie's kind of about that without being overly about it. So for instance, there's the whole class thing. Mm-hmm. Like there's always this thing where Eggsy is like, you know, he is from a lower class, uh, right. and then the Kingsman. Um, Our tradition, represent. like very like upper class, yes, and, and, and ge- the and gentlemanly thing. Where yeah. like you know, it's like he's like, you know, like all the Kingsmen are always in suits and very proper, and like you know, drinking tea and all that sort of stuff. Right, and then you know, or drinking like you know whiskey, and then like you know, Eggsy is very much like got like the hat, does parkour, and right. like big coats and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, comes and from a broken home, steals like, cars, yeah, like that like, sort of thing. Um. But, you know, but he's not a bad guy. No, no, like, but he's yeah. someone who cares, like, and, and it's one of those things where, like, he's definitely, like, a really smart kid, really athletic kid, someone who has all the potential in the world. It's just that he's kind of taking a back seat on his life to take care of his mom and his, like, little sister. Mm. Yeah, so I, I, so I think, and I'll probably bring this point up, like, when we get to kind of, like, some of the bigger stuff in the movie, but... Yeah, overall, like, it's just one of those things, like, from start to finish, like, and the whole third act is just, like, a, a ton of fun, um, and um, and then Mark Strong is, is great in, in the film. When is he not? Like, we talked yeah, about, really, about this, yeah. like, <laughs> when is he not? Like, why, like, we, but this we, one, we, we recently watched Shazam, where yeah. he's the villain in that, and it's, like, legitimately, like... And I, and I have even argued that that is not that great of a character it only works because it's mark strong and I, but he like he brings he he, he just has like you he, just want to see him and stuff see him and stuff yeah and and again like because he's someone like him and sam jackson and i would even say like a michael Caine in that situation is someone who's just like if you can give him like a fun movie to be in right like they they will eat it up like yeah they'll do like a more dramatic thing or or they'll you know do a more serious thing like there's no qualms about them though being like these big characters and and being in these big movies because they enjoy. Well, doing also it. the thing about Mark Strong in this movie though, uh, well, a he's not a bad guy, no. so that kind of makes it a, a little, little bit, bit more, a little bit more fresh. Yeah, and there is kind of like this very competent, serious, older, like I would say like uncle figure. Yeah, and so there's also a slight an ever slight dorkiness to him mm-hmm. a, a, as well and that he's basically the Q character but you also know they've established that he does have some field training mm-hmm. um so all that stuff i mean that that, that character merlin um is yeah. one because that that's the other big thing is that the they kingsmen have, they're all their code names are based off of like arthurian legend so, names so and, like the leader is arthur right. and then and then colin first character is galahad mm-hmm. and they're 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 competing to be the new Lancelot, mm-hmm. so it's all that sort of stuff. So, so, uh, excuse me. Um, so yeah, and and overall, the the movie, the the a the a b plot of the movie is the a plot being Eggsy is they need a new, they need a new Lancelot. Uh, Colin Firth uh, chooses uh, Taron Edgerton's character Eggsy, uh, who is the son of a previous. Um, Kingsman candidate. K- Kingsman candidate. That I believe this is this is the only part of the plot I kind of like lost track of. Was also some was he he was Colin Firth's friend or he was like the it the is, last candidate that he chose. Or he, was, it was Eggsy's father. No, I know it was Eggsy's father. Oh yeah, it was the last candidate. It was like one of the 
previous candidates that he's chosen. Right. Like mm-hmm. back back in the day when when Eggsy was a kid, um, he was he was basically in the final two. Right. Um, and then like, the whole thing is that uh, Eggsy's father sacrifices himself on like the like the last like test mission, mm-hmm. um, and you know. Harry Hart, who is his Colin First character, Galahad, owes his life to Aixie's father. So when he goes back, you know, and has to explain to the mother uh, that, like, hey, like, your husband's dead, but we can't really tell you why. Right. You know, he basically, like, gives him, like, hey, if you need anything, you know, take yeah. this medal. Like the, the basically, like, gives a favor, and then eventually Aixie finds a way yeah. to use that favor, and then Colin Firth comes back into his life and basically asks him to be you know, his next candidate for the Kingsman. Right. Um, so that so that's kind of like the A plot, and it's all about Eggsy, like, you know, going from um, street thug to... Uh, to gentleman to, spy. Yeah, to gentleman spy. While also having this kind of relationship and, and kind of this, this growing relationship with, with Harry Hart. Um, especially because, like, you know, you know Eggsy has to believe, you know, has to believe himself. Uh, Harry Hart basically says, like, you know, we need a little kick in the pants. Like, we can't always be gentlemen. We need, you know, a spy for the for a modern age. And you, you know, yeah, because yeah, you get the sense that, like, um, you know, Harry is like the more like forward thinking yeah. uh, of, of 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 the Kingsman. Yeah. So it was basically like, so you get their budding relationship, uh, and then so that's kind of our a plot as Az kind of competes with a bunch of other candidates, goes through a bunch of spy related tests, Kingsman mm-hmm. tests to to become the new Lancelot. Well, you also have uh, our uh, villain yes. plotline, our kind of more world domination plotline, which is a uh, uh, Richmond Valentine, who's basically this kind of Steve Jobs, Bill Gates, like super rich tech tycoon. Yeah. Um, has been trying forever to like donate to climate change properties and stuff like that. Which I have to be honest, like because I often like make fun of the thing where it's like, okay, like the villain is all about technology and satellites and um but when you watch this movie, very elegantly done, like it actually avoids it being a cliche yeah. because they establish enough of a personality with Samuel Jackson in this character without having to rely on he's a tech guy and like it's all about the saddle like it's part of it but you just know like the, in, well, the technology is a means to an end right it's not the whole bit it's and not, it's really not who that character is it's right. just like kind of like this is just what he well, does when you look at like stuff like skyfall and like specter which is you know the really big ones where it's like technology right it's because like you know the whole point of it is like oh the hacking is the main thing and like Oh, we're gonna have all the nine eye. We're gonna see all the t- the uh, intelligence around the world, and we're gonna control it. So it's all about the technology. Here, the technology is a means to an end to quote unquote kill the virus of planet Earth. Right. Which, like, let's let's get this out of the way. the The humanity is the virus thing is like the. 2000s movie version of an EMP. Like yeah. in terms of like it is just the go to plot device mm-hmm. thing because like. And this was also during the time when almost every movie was doing right, it. Right, it's like any any movie that had a slight semblance of like, I mean, like we see it like <laughs> we see it years later in King of the Monsters. Yeah. it's the exact same. King of the Monsters, um, uh, Avengers two had it. Um, yeah. where did did it did? Yeah, I guess so. No, uh, yeah, Ultron yeah. was basically Ultron was kind of like that. But there's another like real clear example of like humanity is the virus and, um, 
yeah, I can't I can't remember. But it was it did feel like a lot of movies were leaning on that as like the vil, the the main mm-hmm. primary plot point. Um so, you know, it, it it is funny. I think it is kind of the most obligatory thing in the movie. Yeah. Like cuz even when you're watching it, you feel like you have heard it a, a, a few times. Yeah. Um and you know, it makes sense. Like it's one of those things where there's technically nothing wrong with it. Um but I mean, in one hand, it's like, yeah, it's like a thing. But um, I think this movie also gets away with the fact that I think a lot of times when you do that stuff, there's a very samey, like serious person. You know, I think right. I think what makes it unique is you have, you know, kind of Samuel Jackson being kind of. I'm gonna look up what else that was in because it's it's constructing. Yeah, go ahead. Well, basically, you just have like you have Samuel L. Jackson wearing like super colorful clothes and being very charismatic and and silly and you know he he like he has this big dinner where he's you know he presents mcdonald's like he's a very silly character and i think that's what kind of makes it refreshing again he's kind of playing you know a version of that kind of you know over the top villain that over top bond villain like he's basically kind of doing sort of the you know, kind of the 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 Christopher Lee Blofeld like. No, go ahead. Oh, sorry. No, I sorry. It was just the. It was just I was looking for it under TV tropes, and it wasn't coming up. But it's under TV tropes as humanity is the infection. Yeah. Um. But basically, like I think that's what makes it more palatable because it's also like you know you're doing the whole thing where it's like yeah like climate change is real, but it's like a villain's gonna kill everybody for it, which is less like kind of like okay, well. You know, that whole, again, we've talked about that whole trope of it always being kind of like the villain, where it's like, the villain has a good point, but he's going too far on it. Um, But I think it's just the way that Samuel Jackson has, and you have this cool henchman in Gazelle, and you have just the stylishness, the general stylishness of the movie and Vaughn's direction, I think really helped to... yeah to move away from it just kind of being like just another version of that trope. And it's also this time around, the thing that really alleviated for me is like what the actual plan is, like what he does plan to do. Yeah. Because the the reveal in the movie is that, you know, he's kind of been, um, first of all, he has this huge plan where, you know, because everybody knows him. It's established that like he's an extremely famous tech mogul that apparently... There's a, there was a movie based off of him because that's like the first time you see him on right. TV. Released he's by Fox, first, by the way. Yeah, it, 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 he's at the premiere of his own movie, which is which is kind of funny. Um, so so the plan is is that he is basically giving out um, These uh, chips. yeah, SIM cards. Yes, for which is also a little bit strange. Like really, like people are gonna line up for like you know these Valentine. Like I don't know if like I mean I guess they're trying to say it's like the iPhone. Well, no, it's it's literally. Or, he, or he's giving out the phone. It's not a. It's not even a phone. Oh, it's not even the phone. It's That's a, even more stupid. It's a chip. Yeah, I know. So but basically, like, nobody's gonna. Even if Steve Jobs was like, everybody, there's new iPhone SIM cards. Like nobody's gonna line up for well, the SIM the thing, card. The thing is, is like it's any. De- it's like they get the over the top. It's, it's any device. So right. any cell phone, any computer, you put it in there. It gives you a free internet, free cell service, right. like whatever you need. Like I see, everything's I see. like. 
He's like rich enough where he's like everything's gonna be like everybody's gonna get one. Everyone's gonna get one. So, so it's like you don't have to pay for internet anymore. We're gonna like you know guess what? Like Comcast, you're out of here. Spectrum, you're out of here. Like we don't need you anymore. Monopoly on the market. Exactly, because um, it's all free. So the whole thing is that yeah. So he's giving everybody these free SIM cards with the promise of like free internet, free cell phones, like no more paying for everything. And then the whole thing is he's going to activate these these uh, a, a, uh, a thing in these chips through his satellite, which is going to basically increase everybody's aggression and decrease their inhibitions. So mm-hmm. Basically, make everybody like fight and kill each other. Yeah. And then he's protecting a select group of people that know what's going to happen. Um, and then he's kidnapping others who yeah. don't really know what's going to happen. It is very Moonraker. Like w- when you a, think about it's it, exactly like, Moonraker. Yeah. It's like exactly. <laughs> Moonraker, if if Hugo Drax was like kidnapping, um, uh, like politicians and celebrities, Ariana Grande, yeah. Well, also he's also Iggy Azalea. Was, it was, was I it? yeah. I'm sure Iggy I'm sure Grande was also yeah. in there too. <laughs> um, but yeah, and it was funny because that kind of brought up like something kind of like thematically I'd never noticed in the movie before because there is the sense that they're kind of even though in the movie to its credit never puts a puts like a, a magnifying glass on this but it i think it is there where he is doing this thing where it's like oh it's for like the betterment of like society and he's even kidnapping like he's even getting people who don't comply because one of his things a uh, valentine does is that he goes to each of these people uh, who are important or like, of, of like status world, world leaders yeah and importance of status. um so and then he kind of like gives them the pitch and then so, which is kind of like a, a noble thing, I guess. Yeah. Like he pitches the idea and kind of, you're right, establishes that character from just being kind of like a bland villain. And at one point, there's like a duchess character yeah, who, yeah. and uh, he, she's not having it. But he's like, well, you don't really have a choice because like, you know, like people like you and like you're going to be able to like inspire well, like, people. We and, need like, you like to like make sure we get that Norwegian like Dutch market. Like, right. Once this is all like. Yeah. Know. So he, he's kind of like also thinking ahead, like, you know, when all this is over, I still need the people of status to maintain some sort of control over this. So there's a level of that. So what I was so basically, saying, like basically like anybody who complies, like the, the British prime minister and like like uh, some like I don't think it's actually the president himself, but like someone else at the White House, like. They get a special. What do you mean you don't know if it's the president himself? What hundred percent is the president? I could have been like the no, secretary of defense. No, well, it's, no, because they the pan pres- over to the White House. So but like- it's like the pre. It's like you look at the back of his head. It's supposed to be Obama. Like that was the whole thing that everybody yeah. was talking about in the movie. Is that they blew up Obama by the end of it? Yeah. Um, uh, so which okay, is, fire, is fire very Malar. Um, um, but. Uh, so basically, like anybody who agrees gets like a, a special like chip inserted into their head so that they don't get affected by it, and anybody who disagrees but he still wants essentially gets kidnapped and brought to his safe haven. Right, of, they're, like, they're where, like kind of put in cells where like they're they're not going to get affected by the rage virus. Um, the, ra- the rage virus. Yeah, um, but what I did like about it was that there is this kind of like little hidden theme because again, like I said, how the movie is a lot about like you know, the status and, you know, going from, like, the streets to Gentleman Spy, that there was a level of, like, all right, the villain has basically taken everybody who was important, and then now all, like, the normal people are not only going to get killed, but they're all going to kill each other. So there's kind of, like, this little, like, all right, the people of status are going to, like, you know, go away in their, like, special little bunkers while all, like, the, the ants, like, kill each other. Which and and I like that because I think that is 
contextually in the movie without that being made the point yeah. of the movie, if that if, if that makes sense. <laughs> yeah, it hits a little too close to home these days. Well, yeah, no, it's like, so basically, uh, Valentine has established who the essential workers are, and he's put them all in bunkers. <laughs> The quote unquote essential. Yeah, yeah no, but it was that was kind of like it, it, little things like that made this viewing very, very interesting. Um, but think, but it did make it more powerful to 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 watch, and yeah. the fact that it was kind of like hidden, and they don't really uh, make that big of a make that big of a deal about it because obviously like they kind of pan over everywhere, and it's like the beaches and everything. But they do make a point of like showing like, oh, this is affecting like. Eggsy's friends and families and all these people who are in like these like lower neighborhood places yeah. and you know and I, I don't know I, I thought like this rewatch kind of highlighted that in a way that I thought was very effective indeed uh, one other thing another thing about Valentine too which I think makes the character even more fun is that he's someone who is again that char- char- uh, that charismatic nature that he that in his inherited Samuel L Jackson but he puts into the character I also really like that he's genuinely like surprised at even his own success in this because right. like there's at one point there we'll talk about we'll definitely talk about it in more detail but the the famous test scene in the movie that's the church scene which is one of the things the movie is most known for yeah um is kind of like this big test and like he's basically like shocked that it's like oh it has like a hundred percent even people without the device like are getting affected like there's like kind of a shock of just like wow this is working out better even than i could have imagined also, he can't look at violence. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there, that's the thing. It's like there's actually a lot of like little things that flesh out this character. Like he like gets nauseous and will throw up if he sees blood. Yeah. Um, and um, like what, what, what's another thing? Like he gets upset when like certain people get killed. Like yeah. when Mark Hamill's character dies, and yeah. he's like, and you know they weren't like close friends, but he's just like he's like. He killed Dr. Arnold. I like Dr. Arnold. <laughs> so, just like little things like that. Um, and, um, and and another thing I picked up from when I really – and again, it's really interesting that like Vaughn doesn't really um, lean into this. Uh, he just kind of keeps it on the surface because there is a little bit of like, you know, gen- British gentleman spy versus – American megalomaniac type deal. Yeah. And because, like, when you think about, like, all the Kingsmen, they're all in suits and they're very prim and proper. And Valentine is rocking sneakers and, like, you know, um, fancy, kind of like fancy sweatshirts sometimes yeah. and, like, the baseball cap. And like, he's a little bit more closer in dress to Eggsy right. than he is to the Kingsmen. And, and I definitely like, and just because of the whole, like, all right media mogul he's clearly american i I just thought that there was kind of like this everything about the character is just super unique for like a spy villain of this type where it's like they were kind of like and again without making it about like oh he's like an american bad guy but i think like textually i think that's there like but it's like also it's just like oh and and that you know he's like you know for for dinner he's serving like mcdonald's it's just like you know it's like he has this both thing where like like he has a dinner and he has like the big like you know serving tray and it has like this the classic silver like you know cover on it and they open it up and it's just a bunch of big macs and mm. fries and stuff like that um so yeah i i definitely i definitely liked all of that and and then it, that scene now that you, we mentioned that leads to i think honestly my favorite like either scene or like bits of dialogue in the movie yeah. where you know it's not revolutionary but i think it is a clever bit of dialogue was because they have the classic hero and villain meet 
it's not out in the open that they're the villain and the hero, but each one of them knows or that like, like yeah, you're the good guy, I'm right. the bad guy, right, like, like Harry and Hart you, vice versa. Comes up with this billionaire disguise, you know, just like you know Bond would do in those old movies, you know, like where he's, you know, like when Bond shows up to uh, pretend he's, um, you know, uh, Francisco Scaramanga in, in 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 Man with the Golden Gun, right. or mm-hmm. he pretends to be, you know, uh, in, you know. You know, we we, we all see right, right, right. Like he he has like this bling where he just, but Harry Hart does that thing where he pretends he's this guy to get information. Valentine's immediately suspicious, and like everybody kind of knows, but they're still like playing. You know, all Galahad's doing is trying to get information. Valentine's trying to figure out who's who's fucking up his plans. Right. So it's just like this kind of tension scene. Yes, and they and they both know who each who who each other are, but they they have like I just love that line of dialogue where they out in the open finally talk about the. Like the stylistic thesis of the movie is like, you know, they start talking about they both love spy movies. And well, then, they specifically mentioned James Bond, right? They, that, but the Bond movies are, are fictional films within this universe. That's true, and just about how like, oh, now they're they're a little too serious for my taste uh, yeah. these days. But they, the the line that I like is like when he's like, he's like, I've always wanted to be a gentleman spy, and then he's like, he's like, oh, I always, and then Colin Firth is like, oh, I always like kind of like the megalomaniac villain. And then Samuel Jackson's like, well, shame we both had to grow up. And yeah. I was like, oh, that's like a... I, that's, I, that's cute. Yeah, it's, cute. it's, it's, it's a cute... cute I, I love I love little cute lines of dialogue like that. I, I did like it. Um, And then just the last thing about the villains. Um, I think in some ways you could argue this is like Sofia Boutella's movie, not in terms of like plot, but Jesus. I think if anybody got like a big bump in like notoriety, it was her because... She's on all the posters. Yeah. Like she, like her and her and those legs are on every Blu-ray box and like and she definitely like steals the show. Yeah, I mean in the same way that Famke Jensen steals the show in Goldeneye. Like she yes. steals the show. That's, in a, that's a good. That's a good. It, point. It's very much that same way where it's just like again you have kind of a unique personality, you know, using kind of the uh, this the uniqueness of the legs and her movement and like her, her dance background definitely like enhances everything. And, mm. and she also is like, again, she is the lead henchman and she gets like the real big, like last boss fight at the end with, with Eggsy. And, um, and, and, and it's and, like, there's like, again, like they don't go all in on it. There's an implication of some sort of relationship between the two. Yeah. Um, where like it's, but it's also like, again, you kind of have that, like, she's also someone who, genuinely cares for valentine so i always like i always like when the when the henchmen genuinely care for like the people that they're with because you have the henchmen are just like you know like jaws is just a job right and then like you know bond generally care for him he turns was like gazelle is essentially like very much on board with like valentine's plan it's not even like oh i'm just doing this to survive yeah. she's like literally like i'm all oh I'm you can you can definitely easily the, the the relationship is definitely painted out like that she is definitely like the the serious like maybe like you know go getter of of the two yeah. like and, you know that they, they definitely share what they want to do but she's definitely like you know like he's all, like what, did, what does he say he's like oh it's like bingo it's like you know bingo right and she's yeah. like does it look like i play like you know she's just kind right. of like but it's also like she's also the one that's you know, really doing like the the leg work. Uh, <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, uh, where good job on that. Where, where it's just like, oh well, you know, she's the muscle. Yeah, yeah, she's um, the muscle, but she's also the one where it's like, listen, like, if we're if we're gonna like, uh, you know, if we if we're gonna do the test like now, we have to like, you know, do this and that, and mm-hmm. it's like, you know, she's like basically kind of the the secretary, just type of like, 
filling in all the details to make sure that Valentine's yeah. plan. Well, I, I think they, they do a good job of like really establishing it as a partnership. Like you can tell that she's running a lot of the operation because yeah. when he's like, well, like, how can we don't know who this guy is? She's like, well, I'm running it with like all the all of our contacts and I'm things like with that. The KGB, the CIA, yeah. Beijing. Yeah. Isn't it like scary that we don't even have a name for this? Yeah, the yeah. Chinese, I, I thought that was a funny. That was Chinese a funny Secret joke. Service. You just have to go through Beijing. Yeah, he's like, he's like, he's like, Chinese Secret Service doesn't have a name. That's a Secret Service. Yeah, <laughs> I thought that was great. But I, I think ultimately, I think Sophia Boutel is quite good in, in the Absolutely. role. And it's hard because it's a very thankless role like cuz it's not like a very showy and it's not a role that yeah. really asks much of you but she just is such a natural like at it I I I think. And it's like you know it's like again makes she when she first appears she makes a big entrance where you know kind of there's a Oh when she slices James Norrington in half? Yeah. That's like that's <laughs> James Norrington's character is more of the James Bond type which yes. is I think which yeah. is kind of really funny cuz basically at the beginning you have this like kind of slight cold open type thing where it establishes like you know him you know harry hart like, i would argue too many cold opens but potentially yeah, yeah. well basically because it has like it kind of has two it has like the setup where it's like eggsy's father dies harry hart comes to the family and gives eggsy the the medal basically and like you know he overhears the whole conversation where like if you need anything call this number and, and like we'll you know we'll help you out whatever you need but then we have another one where mark hamill's character uh james Ar- professor mm-hmm. james arnold uh, again, he was- Which is funny because this was around the time when Mark Hamill just started being in things again. Yeah. So it was kind of funny, like, like at th- this was the point when you would Leonardo DiCaprio point. Yeah. At, at, like at him being in a movie, mm-hmm. and now it's funny, like now he's kind of had this little mini resurgence of being in things. Well, it's again like he's cast in that role specifically as a reference to in the in the comic book, right? Right. Like uh, the opening of the uh, opening of the book is these bad guys have kidnapped Mark Hamill, like literally like Mark Hamill. Cause again, it's more so the book is more so about these kidnapped celebrities. So they kind of push him in this, this uh, professor James Arnold role, but he's basically in kind of this house and they're, you know, kidnapping him cause Valentine wants to keep him alive. We don't know that yet. Um, but then, yeah, we have our kind of other James Bond type. Yeah. Character, our land, our original Lancelot. Yeah. And, and you know, at, at first I kind of get it because the movie has two cold opens. It's like, it's one to establish that Eggsy's father died and that they gave him like, they gave his family the chip and like you ever have like a, like yeah, the, a, the metal, a problem. The problem, yeah. Uh, and then I guess that they hop ahead in time to, um, I know he has a name, but he's just going to be James Norrington to yeah. me because uh, that's yes. who he plays in Pirates. Um, and then it hops ahead in time to him on a mission where he gets killed to kind of really get the plot going and along with why they, yeah. yeah, to introduce the villains and why they need a new member. And he's like, uh, yeah. there's a part of me that thinks like, all right, you're gonna like introduce this character as a new spy in one cold open and then kill him off in the next cold open. And I wonder if like they had to do that because like, like, because there's a version of this. It's like, well, why couldn't that just be? Eggsy's father mm-hmm. but then it's like oh well do you want the time jump right like you know so maybe right. that yeah. yeah that that's all that's a big nitpick like right. it's not but really an he, issue but I, the, I always felt that way because about this he's movie. the one he's very British he has the quip when he gets in the door yeah it's like it's too much to ask for a cup of sugar and then yeah. like kills everybody and like it's gonna get the drink so it's like very much more in that James Bond mold and then he essentially gets sliced in half by right. himself but it's like a very distinctive like it, well, the whole original point I had was that it's a very distinctive introduction 
to her character and like mm. like her henchman way. It's very much in the same realm of like, you know, it's very much in that same realm of, of odd job throwing his hat and slicing the head off the statue or, or Jaws, you know, smiling for the first time mm-hmm. and seeing his teeth. Like it's very much like you immediately know what her thing is and you know, immediately get her personality and then you get right introduced to the villain. So, right. I mean, and, and that's what kind of helps her really become like a star in this movie. Yeah, I, I, I definitely agree. Um, and then in terms of like the other stuff in the movie, well, first of all, like when we talk about Colin Firth um, as Harry and Taron Egerton as um, Eggsy, um, it's just all solid stuff. It, 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 they, they work off each other very well. It's definitely like, an interesting kind of developing little relationship. And, you know, you still have like, the, oh, there, you know, there's the other famous sequence in the movie, the manners maketh man, like yeah, the, yeah. the whole bar fight, the whole, the whole bar fight which yeah. it, my, my dad always loves that part in the movie where, you know, cause, um, he's always said like, listen, if I was in a bar and like, you know, I told somebody to scram and then he went to go lock the door. Like, that's not a guy you want to mess with. No. <laughs> like you just don't, you just, no, you got to get out of there. Yeah. Um, and that gives you, and that, that's such a, this movie is such like a good effective way of just executing things i don't know how else to put it like just in that one fight scene you instantly enjoy and commit to memory like how all the spy stuff works and how this world works like you through that first fight scene in the bar you get it first of all it sets you up for what the action is going to look like Mm -hmm. in this movie and then you already get a sense of oh this isn't going to be a subdued james bond gadget movie yeah. like this one is like oh no like gadgets are part of the fighting style in the in this movie and and it just it, and it, and it's really effective in terms of like showing you like oh the gadgets are in the watch the gadgets are in like the umbrella like yeah. the lighter is a guy ga- like little things like that and like oh one's like an electromagnet that'll like pull it, it was just it's literally like like I don't even think we've seen this many gadgets in a Batman movie. Like right. <laughs> it's like yeah, it's he, just going all in. On, and and again, I think really a lot of that stuff, especially the action, I think is really can be attributed to to Vaughn, obviously, yeah. because he's you know Vaughn definitely uses style in these types, especially in his Malar movies, like Kick Ass, the first Kick Ass, uh, which he directed, is very much the same way in terms of like just having a style. And, and making it kind of fun and getting you that information through that style. But I think it's most effective here in Kingsman because, right, that scene immediately establishes of like what type of spy world we are truly in um, while also giving you a very distinctive look on the fights, you know, very well choreographed and stylish and direction and camera movement. and Yeah, and- it's got that like kind of like that digital camera movement thing going on that he does in both of the movies um, that definitely – uh, creates its own visual language, as you're saying. Yeah. Uh, and I also mean, like, I think it's also, like, I think his Malar movies really exemplify that style because it doesn't, I mean, like, he does stuff in first class, but it's not as, like... More so in, like, Kick-Ass. He, yeah, he does yeah. more stuff like isn't, that. Mark Strong's a villain in Kick-Ass, too, Yes, right? he is, okay, yeah. I was, I was, like, thinking, like, oh, Mark Strong isn't that Great villain, too. Oh, that's a, that's a fun movie. Yeah. Uh, that was the first movie I ever owned on Blu-ray. Oh, yeah, that's true. It came with my PS4. Um... The one thing I'll say while while we're talking about Eggsy, though, I I will be honest about this. His training stuff is not my least favorite, but it's the least interesting thing in the movie to me. I think I I would say that it's definitely like if you had to like rank things, I guess. Right. It definitely is the least intriguing. Now, I do think there's some kind of cool, clever concepts in terms of 
how they're trained and how it relates to like what they sure. see out the world. I did think there was some a lot of thought put into kind of like, oh, you think the training's going to be one way? Like, you know, it's like I did kind of like it where it's like they do the whole thing where the thing they're they're just told like, hey, you're going to go like get this mark and get information from her. And then it eventually turns into like a, you a know, fake kidnapping, a fake kidnapping and stuff like to that. to see if like he, you would give and, and them it's up. Just, yeah. Like the, the thing is, like obviously, yeah, I think the audience is kind of like knowledgeable, but it's still kind of like fun to see like again, like showing them like the different ropes. But it, but it is true is that like the thing is, is like it doesn't really. I think what's nice about it though is that they really don't. You know, it's a, it's a, it is kind of like our second act of the movie, but it's also not like it's wholly focused on that. I no, think no, what, it's not. I think that's what's kind of what keeps I just, it interesting I, a little bit more is that because there's definitely a movie where it's just like they're so focused and, you know, the, you would do the whole thing where like, oh, Eggsy like really messes up the first challenge. And so like, oh, like she's, he's already on the back burner, but then he like has to make his way up. No, even from the beginning, they kind of like established that Eggsy is different, but he has his own way of kind of sticking into the group and, and being known about it. But I also think like breaking it up with the Valentine stuff and and Harry's investigation into Valentine and kind of the more Kingsman stuff, yeah, helps that out a lot because I think it would the movie would drag more if it really was one hundred percent focused on the Eggsy training where they're just kind of keep it as little action sequences and you kind of get to see his his slight improvements throughout. No, I and I I think again that's where I would say it would be. I don't even know if it would, I could even call it a serious complaint because I, I do think that you obviously need that stuff in the movie, and I think it is good. I, I just find that on rewatches, I just love the Harry Hart stuff yes. and the Valentine stuff so much, and then eventually that coalesces with Eggsy's plot as the movie goes on. I, I just find like when they cut back to the trials and everything, I for me personally, I find it to be like the stuff where... like. Uh, all right, I'll go refill my water right now. No, like, I can, I can yeah. definitely see that. that th- those see would that. be the only things, yeah. but um, but that that's all good. And and also, you know, um, you know, a lot of those side characters, like you know, they're fine. I I, I think well, you know, is, like you have your re- you have your obligatory jerk. Um, you have you have the chick. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, that it was that, nice uh, of someone to nominate a girl for the girl of Lancelot, though. Sure. You say. Like, yeah. It's like someone else was kind of thinking, well, maybe we can go in a, you know different direction. It's not like. It's all a bunch because it could have been all a bunch of these like you know dudes, right? But it basically, yeah, they're all like the guys who went to Hox, Ox, Oxford, 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 and yeah. Harvard, and all that sort of stuff. Like they they've been to all the smartest places. Again, that's where Eggsy is different. But mm. again, I I do like that they also showcase that Eggsy just has a lot a different side to bring. You know, because mm. he's immediately like the one who thinks about like everybody else is like knows okay we got to breathe like when the water fills up, but he's the one trying to get out, which is like. You know, again, you could say, like, oh, like, you failed because you didn't, like, try to survive yourself. But, like, hey, like, you know, they still give him credit because, hey, you eventually got them out and somebody right. would have had to. Or, like, you know, he takes leadership on the parachute thing. So I do think it, as much as those sequences, I think, like, again, aren't maybe as exciting as the rest of the movie. I do think they do, again, do enough of the little things to showcase, like, oh, it's not like Eggsy was really that hopeless in this role. That he right. does have the natural talent to be a Kingsman. It's just that he has to kind of believe in himself in that also credit to the movie for not going overboard with the he's from the streets so he's an asshole like no yeah because you could easily see a movie really leaning into that so then part of the journey is like he's got to be no more likable or whatever they kind of right off the bat he's really establish him as like a likable 
smart guy. He's got a heart of gold. Yeah. Like the thing is, is like again, like his mother is in an, like that abusive relationship, and he's making sure that the sister gets taken care of and trying to like help his mother as much as he can. And like he like steals like this jerk at the bar's car, but not because he wants to steal it. It's like to get back it like you know right yeah it's more so kind of more in a fun way as opposed to him being like oh like he's actually like a like a like a constantly in jail type of thing like no it's like you know he he got caught that once and he has those street smarts and you know like they he can do parkour yeah he he's not like i don't play by the rules and you get introduced to him with like he's like this is your sixth time in jail like you know like and it was just that was a that was a a cliche avoided i think and all that stuff leads up to someone that like eggsy is someone you really do get behind too it's like he's someone that you're rooting for the kid because you definitely see the good you definitely see the potential and it's just like again the journey is is kind of harry bringing that out of him yeah um well speaking about harry um yeah, it's just it's just fun. Like Colin, Colin Firth, Firth is, is just Colin so Firth fun. Is like perfectly, it's just perfect. It, like it's it's the perfect portrayal. It's again, you know, you get again each character. I think you get depth to those characters in very subtle ways, and I think Harry is very much included in that. When you get to see kind of his process, and um, but also just the things you learn about him and. And the, when he's discussing his life and his and his uh, you know his mentorship with Eggs, you really get to see kind of that character come to life. And I do think the more I talk about it, the more that is like a strength of the whole script. I think we talked it mostly with Valentine, but I do think each of the characters do get their little moments that just bring that depth to them. That it's not like, here's my big emotional scene where I tell you my backstory type of thing. It's just like you get those little bits and pieces throughout the movie and it just really establishes these characters as fun. And I think Colin Firth takes what he has with Harry Hart as a character and really just runs with it and and makes it so much fun to watch. Yeah. um, Excuse me. Um, Yeah, there's this kind of like, it's just interesting because, like, you know, this is a very different... It's different and not different for Colin Firth. But it's different in the way, like, it, he's, like, portraying, like, for all intents and purposes, an action hero. Yeah. Um, And he just fits into it so well. Now, granted, it is kind of leaning into some Colin Firthy, you know, more comfortable shoes about it's more... But he's an action hero, but it's more about him being, like, a paternal gentleman so you know that's not as foreign to colin firth but there is a level of like even badassery to the character that he just you can tell like why he was interested in doing it and then he brought it i thought um and uh the fat and then just him and all the action that he's in you're just instantly on board for it's like in some ways it's just like an instant classic like you know hero like you almost want to see all the movies with him as the character, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Yeah. Like, because it's just like he, he's just so, he's just so good. Um, yeah, I don't really know what else, really what else to say about him. Only that, like, you know, it, it's still obviously surreal to see him doing some of the stuff that he does in the movie. Well, uh, uh, I think he bounces off all the characters, yeah, uh, very well, and he plays that paternal figure extremely well. I, too. And I, I do think it's like. His stuff, with, I mean, like, yes, like, it's fun to see him do the big action stuff throughout the movie. But really, I think, like, he's so key into establishing the emotional core of the film because, you know, he has, he's, you know, he's 
you know, brought Eggsy up as like, hey, you you can be this Kingsman, and it's about bringing out that potential, and also like giving Eggsy those like kind of those lessons, those paternal lessons, like like just the fun stuff. Like we, you know, we talked already a lot about the the gadget scene, the ga- the room where you know they're the Kingsman is also this tailor shop, you know, right. it's kind of their cover for their headquarters. That's a real tailor shop, if I recall, right? Like that's a yeah, it's based a on a real tailor yeah, shop. Honey. Yes, yeah, and then um. Yes, it is based on like a real place. Uh, so basically, there's one point where you know they're getting they're gonna get invited for like a suit for like some of his final like training stuff, and like the main room, you know, <laughs> he's like the fitting room one is unavailable because someone's in there and is like, well, we never use fitting room two when you were popping your cherry. <laughs> <laughs> but then he goes to the gadget room, and again, it's just like he sells, you know, he he sells these gadget again. There's like you know and. And, like, Edgerton is very much, like, oh, like, kind of, like, slightly kind of, like, what's this for? And, like, kind of, like, being intrigued. And, like, Harry has kind of a, you know, Colin Firth gives that perfect mix of, like, he's proud of all this stuff, but there's, like, a nostalgia already for, like, like he's already, you can already tell he's not telling all the stories of all the times he used these gadgets, but he knows, like, I use this one and this one and this one. And he kind of has, like, oh, well, this one, you know, that one used to have a phone in it. Like, the shoe used to have Well, that, that's, like, the most, it, it's funny because I was going to mention, like, they don't really openly like reference. kind of reference a lot of stuff, and I just thought that the one really funny spy reference was a Get Smart reference. Yeah, well, so I, all, I all that was stuff really was funny. like you know obviously inspiration too. Like I mentioned Moonraker, but like Vaughn mentioned of like knowing like loving Get Smart and Man from Uncle and and the Flint movies right. as well. So. And, and and don't they make? I, I think I missed the joke, but don't 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 they have like the is it like the wall full of iPads or something? Yeah, and then he's like, oh, that's already you know that's not really anything special anymore. Yeah. <laughs> he's like, uh, so I, I thought right I like thought the, that was, the spy world is like that. The, Real world is already caught up to that. Yeah, yeah like uh, they used to have like the like kind of the iPads and like the those sort of things. So, um, but even or, or when they're in when they're in his office and he's talking about all the newspapers behind. Oh, him. that was awesome because because I get he has like a basically on his wall all the newspaper headlines from the day that he went on a mission. So it, it may not necessarily be about the mission, but he's like, oh yeah, it's like you have this where these this team. Uh, this soccer team or this football yeah, England team. England five, Germany one. Yeah. And then, or like, oh, like. He's like, that's the day that I saved the Pentagon. Like, yeah. things like that. Or like, and there's all, like, one that's like, like a, like a piss joke one where it's like some, some random headline about peeing. And it basically his whole point is like, I was never the main headline. Nobody ever knew what I was doing, but. Yeah, yeah. The, the headlines could get out there because of what we do. Right. So that's sort of stuff. Yeah. Oh, I never thought about it that way. That's, uh, that's, that's really exactly cool. what he says. In that no, scene. no, it is, but I, I never, it did just the, um, the subtext of that didn't really hit me yeah. until now um, where, because that's, it's said several times in the movie. Like, it's like, you know, other than like you, you like your, what your birth date and your death date. Like there, yeah. are, there's the not going to be times your known. name should be in the newspaper is the day you're born, the day you get married, the day you die. Yeah. Um, yeah. The subtext of that didn't hit me until now. Um, I also, I did like the thing he's like, Oh, prevented the uh, assassination of Margaret Thatcher. He's like, not everybody would thank you for that one. Yeah. <laughs> I thought that um, was funny. But of course, Harry's plot line all leads up to again one of the, probably the movie's most famous scene in yes. that. Uh he gets a he gets a hint so or a clue. Yeah, so that, basically uh when they're in that gadget scene and who is in fitting room one the whole time but Valentine. Mm-hmm. And then uh, you know, because he's cause um Oh, by the way, just because I'm gonna forget it. It is funny when he's just like talking about like he, he like misunderstands something that Harry says. Yeah. And of course with his lisp, he's like he's like, 
He's like, can't understand you people sometimes. You all talk so funny. Yeah. <laughs> and then I was like, that's funny. So basically, <laughs> so basically, um, he like directs, you know, because he because Harry's still posing as as this billionaire who like is you know getting his like ward fitted or whatever, and so he he tells yeah you know you need a top hat for this event. You should you should go to this place. There's like lock and key or something like that. And it's like lock is in fish lock is locked up ah like you know again they're playing right, that yeah. kind of thing but then the the hat actually has like a transmitter and then through another clue they eventually find out that there's going to be this big test this big thing happening at this hate group church in the deep south yeah. deep south america yeah it's like Not a south america, like, it's deep south of the united states of yeah america. like a like a westboro baptist church right. like and, parody and, and like literally like like the church is like the most like heinous thing and they're like basically saying all the like naughty things and like yeah, the worst it, it, thoughts in the like, world it, it's such a funny it, it is cartoonish definitely yeah but they go in and the pastor's like and down with the black people and the gay people and you know using it, it, using less nice yeah, words yeah yeah it it, it it's just it, yeah. it it is um it is funny which uh so anyway so yeah and then that's where valentine it's revealed that valentine is going to do a test run of this uh violence yeah this violence, violence uh in, yeah and uh and yeah and as you said it um so because it, it's the whole thing where like Colin Firth's getting up because he realizes that, like, oh. oh, and then also one of the other best lines in the movie, where you know he he wants to get up because he's kind of in there as he's a in the spy. Middle of a, he's in the middle of a pew. Yeah, he's trying to get up, and the woman next to him is like, "Where the hell are you going?" Yeah, she's being she's being an asshole, and then he gets annoyed, and he's like, he's like, I, he's like, I'm going, he's like, I'm going to, uh, I'm a Catholic whore. Yeah, <laughs> married to my my black gay uh boyfriend <laughs> who's an abortion doctor yeah, yeah like all the all the stuff it's one of the best lines of the well, movie and then he walks away oh, and then he's like so hail satan and have a no- and have a lovely day yes <laughs> yes and so he starts walking away right as valentine starts his you know activates all the phones and stuff like that and then um he's walking away the woman's chasing after him and then it starts the scene of the movie which i think everybody again so he shoots her in the head. Everybody in the thing starts fighting, and Leonard Skinner's uh, "Free Bird," the the famous solo from that song, starts playing, and we get a very stylish Colin Firth murdering all these nasty, racist, right, homophobic people. Uh, and I mean, yeah, it, it's 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 like one of those big stylish stylistic uh, hand fighting set pieces. Um, that's also fun because. You know, I think the idea in world is like he was only going to do this to like all the people in the church. But then when you add a super because I, you could see the conceit when they probably made this movie. It's like, all right, imagine this scene where it's just like all these racist people that are killing each other. Now, put a super spy in there who's well, also being affected and he's got all of his gadgets. Yeah. And it just makes it so much more. And fun. again, it's just Vaughn stylization. It's mm. really Vaughn's work in the action is really showcasing here and that's why that scene is so famous because not it's like again the the famous guitar solo and just all the unique ways in which harry is just killing all these people like completely out of his control yeah and then again you've got like valentine being like wow it's like a hundred percent like like even the people without the without the chip is being affected and and he's thinking well at least our at least we're going to get rid of our spy problem and you're like well and then you got back and it's like he's just killing everybody right and and it's funny because, and I, I'm, I'm kind of maybe I'm confusing the timelines of this, but I did feel like this was kind of like at the time 
this was starting this not maybe not the start of it but it was during the resurgence of big not one takes but these big hand-to-hand combat like camera whipping and panning around yeah. action sequences that you well, see like in like highly choreographed yeah like high, high choreographed and like you know again like capturing every movement yeah like we see it more now in like the raid movies and like right. john wick and like it's very commonplace now but i felt like this was like one of like the first like pushes yeah. for like right. oh this is because it's also be it's like movies. it's not like one take but it kind of has a lot of like long take moments just yeah because like again it's like the digital whipping of the camera and just kind of how things cut together and then like it, there's like a, a badass move that makes you go ooh every like five seconds like yeah so and i guess yeah i mean it's also, and it's great yeah and you know, it's one of those things where, uh, so basically you get to the end of this and it's just, again, it's also kind of one of those things where it's like, it's violent, but also like not explicitly like, like not like huge blood, like it's not like a Tarantino bloody scene, but there is a sense of violence to what's no, happening. No, I mean, and that, that should be said. The movie does not shy away from like, if somebody gets their head cut off or if somebody right. gets a, like a bullet in the head, right. like they show that yeah. for the most part which is nice that, that yeah. it doesn't go too too over the top with it but it's still like enough where you're like again, yeah something different so again like at the end they shut the thing off and harry's like looking around just and you know like merlin was watching and eggsy was watching because he just had the fight with with harry about what happened which i'll talk about in a second uh like the end of his plot line so harry walks out of the church to valentine and basically again they kind of have a nice little moment of just like oh like this is the part where i put you in the trap right and right yeah I, you find a way to escape and then he doesn't then shoots harry is he dead yeah yes or is he is he maybe maybe they'll make a sequel and maybe he's not dead yeah <laughs> but for the purposes of everybody movie harry is dead yeah uh eggsy had just failed to become a kingsman mm-hmm. because he refused to shoot his dog which was again another thing that they have to care for this dog he goes in this room with Michael Caine. Which there is a little bit of a sense, like, listen, they've been tricking you this entire time. Yeah. Like, you've gone through, like, two, like, at that point, he went through two big, like, trials. Yeah. Where, essentially, he was duped. Like, that there was a safety net. They just want to see what you do. So, there is a bit of a sense where you're like, you just, yeah, yeah, just just pull the trigger now, on that I dog. Will, I will say, though, Vaughn wanted them to actually shoot the dogs. Mm-hmm. And then his co-writer was like, you're going to lose... Killing a dog is never smart. Yeah. Like, unless, like, you want to make, you hate somebody. Yeah. Don't kill the dog. So then, because Vaughn still wanted to uh, have Harry have his stuffed dog. So then they were like, oh, well, he died later of pancreatic cancer. Yeah. Mr. I think that's a good choice. No. I mean, not only because you don't want to see them shoot the dog, but it is actually, like, funny. Yeah. Like, too, when he, like, shows, like, the stuffed dog. M- yeah. Mr. Pickle yeah. or whatever. And he's like, he died. 11 years later of patriotic cancer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that that that, um, that stuff So is basically good. um so now it's like Eggsy's really upset, you know, cuz it's like, you know, he just got into this fight about like the mentor because like he refused to shoot the dog and so he has, he's not a kingsman and Harry still wants to help him. So like like we'll talk about this get back. Eggsy eventually like talks to Michael Caine's Arthur character, who's like you know basically like the M of this uh, Kingsman organization, only to discover that Michael Caine has also been seduced by Valentine mm-hmm. and has the chip in his head that that will you know basically marks you as someone who's on Valentine's side. Uh, so then there's a whole thing where um, you know sleight of hand. Yeah. You know, Michael Caine, Michael Caine thinks he's poisoning Eggsy. Eggsy switches the camera. You know that because I guess they didn't. They wanted to make sure you knew 
Like, I mean, they had the bit where he's like, hey, what's that over there? And then the camera, like, yeah. moves. And then, and then like, you know what he did. And like, I, I oh, just, are those former Kingsmen? Oh, yes, they're all, yeah. like, legendary Kingsmen. I just always think it's funny that the, that they still had found the need to, like, replay st- it. To still replay that point so you yeah. know what happened. It's like, oh, it's yeah, like yeah. And he's also like, he's like, I learned a lot in the Kingsmen, but sleight of hand, I learned on the streets. Yeah. Because uh, he, he stole the car keys early in the movie, which is a nice point. But then you, it basically leads up to, you know, Eggsy comes in with the information. Like, he... he Bravely takes the chip out of Michael Caine's head. Yeah. Like, that was very, like... With a pen. With a pen. Yeah. He goes up to Roxy, the girl who became who won, became Lancelot because she shot her dog. It was a blank, by the way. He didn't actually shoot the dog. Yeah. Uh, and Merlin, and basically, like, they're the only three that can be trusted because they're the only three that kind of, like, you know... They, in, yeah, they can guarantee that they're not They're not on, like on the this. Side, yeah. So they have to go, basically, you know, and, and um, they have to go to... Valentine's headquarters in the in the uh, Alps, I think, or somewhere in there, mm-hmm. um, and basically stop him from making everybody kill each other. Yeah, and and it just starts like I I I love like this third act. It it it's really a long third act. It is. It, uh, um, it's very sizable, but again, it it does remind you of like the end of Spy Who Loved Me or the yeah. end of Moonraker or the end of you know any of those war films where it's like okay well he's going to the big base and there's kind of a couple different types of action sequences going on it's that big finale and it's that big like we gotta go into the villain's lair and fight all of his people and stop him from killing everybody in the world but it's just funny because it, it just reminds me of a of a video game where you think you're on, you're always on the last level and then you realize like there's still more levels yeah. to go because when you think it, the the it's segmented up when like all right well they have to stop Valentine and they think they do they like they hack into a system and they destroy the satellite and then there's a huge like escape sequence like right. where Eggsy's escaping so there's that then there's all right we got to go back but now he's got us cornered so then they have a, a well, yeah, big cause, like cause... moment where you know they. Uh, activate all the chips in everybody's heads in spectacular fashion. Right, because earlier in the movie, they like Mark Hamill's uh, James Arnold is about to like reveal the information, and his head explodes. And you're like, "What happened?" And so basically, they figure out that you know when he takes a chip out, he's like, "Well, this protects people from the signal, but it also has a backup where it superheats and basically makes your head explode just in case you know, you know, the information is getting out to the wrong people." Right. And, you know, they had Roxy go up into space and destroy one of the satellites so he couldn't connect all the, the phones together. But then Valentine buys a satellite by basically from Elon Musk. <laughs> uh, and so there's, like, another satellite coming in. So they have to go back in. But, like, he's out of weapons. And then and then Eggsy's like, hey, by the way, remember that thing, like the chip thing? And then Merlin hacks in, activates it. And then to pomp and circumstance everybody's head explodes. Yeah. Like everybody that, that is on Valentine's sides heads explode. And, and, and that's, and, and that's great. But that's it's just a moment though, where you're watching this movie and you just can't help to find it like enjoyable because right. it's so silly. So over the top. And it's also like, what's really nice about this sequence is there's a, there's definitely an alternate version where they're all like just super bloody heads, but they basically represent it as like fireworks and like this kind of, like different colors like orange and purple and blue yeah so it just makes it so aesthetically nonsensically perfect mm-hmm. and i just i just i turned exactly to you i'm just like oh, this is like this is great. no it, it, it's great it's funny 
But like, but the point, but then that happens, and then they're still like, all right, now we gotta get rid of the final well, boss because he's basically like all the people that like you know he didn't like him and Gazelle didn't put one in their head, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. But, but I just think also it, like he's like basically like you killed all the people that like we're gonna like you know all the ma- important people. Fuck it, I'm still doing this. Yeah, because like, it's all like the thing. The main thing is like. Merlin wants to hack in, but then he finds out that it's, you know, it's hand activated, like it's handprint activated. So he's basically like, you can't let him get his hand on it right. or else it's, like, but, you know, he, he, his plan is going to Right. Work. But the bigger point for me is like, I just think it's funny, like that the third act has three storytelling highs, yeah. essentially. I just think it's really funny because it, it like, and again, it never feels long. No, because it, it's like there's the whole emotion of the first escape, and then there's the whole emotion and satisfaction of the heads blowing up, and then there's the final, the final like, fight with the, Gazelle, yeah, which is awesome, which is a great fight, yeah, yeah. And it, I think it's very much again like in that Bond structure where it's like, oh, he's gonna fight off like. You know, he's got to get into the base, and then like it's like you could definitely imagine a Bond movie where like you know if you had that kind of cue in that position, and like Bond's kind of coming in and out, like like not necessarily it wouldn't be the same style, but there's definitely kind of a pacing of just like like Spy Who Loved Me has kind of those three kind of like highs as well, I would say. Well, and then another thing is like everything to me is just so exciting and just perfect in a certain way in this third act, like. I love like Valentine's like big villain speech. Yeah. Where, you know, he's upset that like everybody in the bunker isn't partying because this is like a joyous occasion. Like, you know, yeah. they're saving the world. So he's like, he's like, he, he's like, he's like, he's like, listen. And like, he goes through this whole speech. He's like, when you, it's like, when you hear the story about Noah's Ark, he's like, is Noah the bad guy? Is God the bad guy? Are the animals going two by two? Are they the bad guy? And everybody's like, no. And he's like, yes, exactly. Like, it's, it's such a great oh, villain the speech. Be- one of the best little gags, though, one of the best, funniest things is like, you know, he's kind of, like, doing the thing. Everybody's head exploded, and he's finally like, you know what? Like, fuck it. I'm still going to do this. And he puts his hand, like, to activate it. Mm-hmm. And then the music and the fireworks oh, start yes, going off yeah. behind him <laughs> with all these dead people with explosive heads. Baby Give It Up starts playing, and yeah. it's just like, it, yeah, it's a fire. It just shows that he really had this plan to yeah. the celebration. Which is, fu- it's just, again, funny. It is really funny. Um, so, and, again, and, and then I think it's also a perfectly set up last sequence too, because there, again, even within those three emotional highs, again, there's all the little, um, like the, character moments, the character and... moments, but also the, just the little obstacles like, oh, well, you know, Valentine's not letting anybody in the internet in here, but there's the one guy, like the prime minister who like has the special password. So like we need to get hooked in. Then you find out, oh, one of the ex Kingsman guys is like there, and that's like, oh shoot, the the spy thing, the this sneaking in part is done. So just start killing people, and then like again the escape, and then, you know, in you know his gun runs out, and, and you know it's like he has to get new guns and all the weapons and all the gadgets and stuff like that. It's just like there's enough of like, oh, and then like you know Valentine does it, they get his hand off once, he puts it, like there's just enough where it's like, it just keeps things fresh, you mm-hmm. know. It's not just one like okay. Again, it's not just, well, here's one thing, here's another thing. It's just enough of, like, here's a little, just the twists and turns, get everything good to go. And then I, and, and you know, and then there's, like, Roxy, like, you know, trying, like, blowing up the satellite yeah. and, and things like that. And I, and there's also, like, little character moments, like, like, Merlin gets some, like, fun little bits where, you know, he goes and to get the, he's like, all right, well, if I'm going to go back in there, give me that gun. And then Merlin's like, no, no, no. This is mine, yeah. <laughs> and it's just like these little moments like, or like that. Like when he's trying to when he's trying to save Eggsy, like because he's like running in and he's like, 
he just comes out because like like he's like pretending to be like Ace's like assistant, his pilot's like, hey, what's going on out there? Like, what's what's happening? I thought things yeah. were, like is it something. Mark wrong? Strong's great. Like yeah. Mar- Mark. Oh, he's Strong so much. A, he's yeah. so much fun. Um. So yeah. So I mean, and so and then that and then that's all fun. Then and again, like again, the the, the classic kind of Bond trope with the plant and payoff with gadgets. Like you know, they have the big fight with the guns and and with gazelle, with the uh, gazelle, and then they both kind of flip over each other. She just cuts off his tie, but he had the knife shoe and poisons her. Mm. And then, like, you know, he basically, like, throws, like, he takes off her leg as she sees eyes and throws it at Valentine. Yeah, that's awesome. I really... It, it, oh, and this is the second Bond episode in which it ends with a projectile vomit. It does. Yeah. This and Knives Out. Yeah. yeah it's a good um, It's a good two months It's also, vomit. like, I do like that they kind of tease that his hand's going to fall back on the, like... Oh, yeah. That's, they that do kind of tease that, like, oh, like, he's going to die, but his hand's going to land on it, but then he falls backwards. And then you also have, like, again, there's this whole emotional thing where, like, you know... Ixie's mom is like trying to kill her kid and yeah. stuff like that. So there's that. So thing. so that's fun. Um, do you do, do you want to get just like the ending out of the way, <laughs> real quick? I mean, uh. <laughs> yeah. So I'm gonna I'm gonna talk about this because this is also also by the way, as you want to mention in the book, a very Malar thing to do. Yeah. Is that instead of like just killing Valentine, because it is the same thing where like there's this thing or was it's Arnold in the book, but it's like that the thing is like oh they like get everybody to like you know fight each other. That's like the same plot, but then. The solution in the book is to change the signal so that everybody takes out their aggression sexually. Mm. Yeah, that's a very Millar. But Millar anyways, thing to do. speaking of sexually, yeah. Uh, so he comes across the uh, the, the Norwegian the, princess, the, the uh, yeah, or the Duchess, or the du- whatever, yeah, yeah. whatever. She's a princess essentially. Prin- yeah. So yeah, the, uh, he comes across the cell that she's in, and uh, they they just here's the thing. I'm not even gonna. They, they just make the joke where he's just like trying to be cute and being like. He's oh, like, oh, I have to go. He's being all bondish. Well, he's, he's basically like, 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 get me out of here. Yeah. And it's like, oh, like, will you give me a kiss? Like that sort of thing. Yeah. And then eventually, this is her. If you get me out of here, I'll let you do it in the asshole. Right. Or it's like, if you save the world, if uh, you save the yeah, world, I'll let you do it. And then, and then he does it at the end of the movie. He he go he goes right. back. And I'll do say it. this about this. Um, and I should say the reason I bring it up because it is like a big. It every single person that I've met who's seen this movie and who ultimately likes the movie has always pointed this out as a point of contention for the movie it's a couple things for me well one vaughn has talked about this moment and he has essentially said well we had all the r-rated violence in the movie we had like the bond version of the like r-rated version of bond violence so i wanted to do the r-rated version of the oh sure like the bond moment at the end i think it's a couple things though one, it's just like, listen, I get like the whole thing where it's like, you know, there's a whole thing that's just like we, we stomach violence more than we stomach like this kind of sexual stuff. And it's like that, that whole debate. And I think it's a worthy debate to have. But at the same time, when you look at stuff like he's attempting reentry or keeping the British end up or for your eyes only, it's like those are it's just like there's just a cleverness to it. And just like the fun to how clever like the line is. And I think there's just there is something a little bit that's just taken away when it's just so direct of just like hey do it in my asshole and then like you you see him mm-hmm. approaching her asshole uh, and then I also think the other weird thing is that like the thing about those Bond ones too is that like it's with the character it's with the main Bond girl that he's been throughout the movie so at least there's kind of that it's just not it's really not never this like weird one night stand that usually happens in the middle of the movie mm. so like the fact that it kind of ends like that just kind of a little bit weird. And I, I get it, but it's I, just... I, I think there's other people who really don't like it. It's dumb. 
it's a dumb joke. The thing is, here's the thing. I remember hating this more. I remember disliking it a lot more when I first watched it. I think it was because, because at, I was like, oh, I forgot. I thought it was just a random woman. At least it was like a woman that was set up sometime earlier in the movie that it was like a character. But at the end of the day, it's like, it's really not that bad. It's just kind of silly. And just again, kind of the fun is kind of taken away a little bit without the innuendo. Um, but it is what it is. I do like the... In her endo. <laughs> but I will say the specific moment, because you get to see him like through the glasses, like approaching again. Yeah. Approaching I, but I will say the the part with Mark Strong being like, oh. Yeah, and, that's like, closing funny. It, that's funny. But like, again, just like... No, it, but... It's dumb. That's really all it is. Yeah, it's like, just, it's just it, stupid. It's, I 100% get what it's doing. It, it's it's tr- it's making fun of the Bond, like, you know, the attempting Again, re-entry. End of, it's, the yeah. end of, it's the end of Moonraker. Yeah, and, like, I get it. The way it's done, there's a couple things about it, and we're probably already talking about it way more than it actually deserves, but it, it, in some ways it feels like a comedian trying out one last non-prepared piece of material as his last bit before he goes off a stage when he was killing before and then he like tries to come up with something on the spot and it it's it doesn't it doesn't work it, it doesn't quite work um and it also frankly stands out as a very malar thing to do because Really, up until that point, there really wasn't anything else like that in the movie. I think that's the thing, too, because (laughs) using your comedian thing again, by the way. So, like, normally if a comedian's testing out new material or, like, doing something like that, he usually, again, does it, like, near the beginning or middle of a set because you want to end strong. Mm -hmm. And I feel like that's kind of the thing, like, you need to set this up or you need to kind of have something more similar to earlier in the movie. But there's really, like, not even Harry talks about sexuality when he's talking about with Harry, or there's never really that element of Bond throughout. So the fact that it's just kind of thrown in there, like, even, like, it's not even as if, like, Eggsy really has, like, a romantic relationship with Roxy. Like, you know, they don't, there's not really that. It's that they are just genuine, just friends and, like, you know, kind of pair up throughout the training stuff. So the fact that it is just kind of thrown in there is just just very odd. That's why it's, like, it doesn't bother me because I get where... The, he- the thinking was. I-, yeah. I get that the thinking was. They're also trying to establish that he's still scoundrelly. Like, and yeah. I, I can 100% buy why everybody thought it was funny at the time. Yeah. I, I like, I, I get it. Like, it's it just, yeah. you know, I, I don't, at the, you didn't. Yeah. It just whatever. feels, it just feels out of place. Yeah. It really it, just does. It, it, it's a little bit of like, and the only reason I actually bring it up is because it's such a strong movie that ends on such like an awkward point. And then and then they have this like kind of post credits but it's really like not post credits. They, they have like an epilogue to the movie right. where, where it it feels like it really does feel like that that was supposed to be the end of the movie mm-hmm. because the whole kind of like epilogue is that he goes to the same bar that he first met like, you know, that that he first got drinks with Harry. Her his mom's there with a abusive boyfriend and Harry, and Eggsy's like, "Listen, I got a job with the Taylors, aka the Kingsmen, and they're going to give me a house and a really nice pay. And you can come live with me. And then the, the the abusive husband's like, "Hey, like get out of here, kid! You ran away from me once. You run away from me again." And then Eggsy repeats the manners maketh man moment mm-hmm. from the beginning of the movie, and then basically starts off that same fight sequence once again. Yeah, and that's like a much stronger ending sure. to the movie. And, and, and it, it does end the movie. The thing but... is, like, it really does feel like. They cut it and they're like, "Oh, that's like a perfect credits moment." And then we'll just put this thing real quickly, you know. Mm-hmm. It's like because it's not even like you know, 
they basically start running credits and then immediately stop them. You know, it's not like a true like post credit scene where it's like they go on for like two yeah. minutes of credits or anything like that. So that epilogue thing is much stronger ending. It's just that the fact that the movie actually ends and goes to credits on that sex joke. It's just it does kind of it doesn't really stick that that wow end of the movie landing. Yeah. Okay, I was thinking of another bad joke. Um, so overall, um, very, 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 very favorable rewatch. Yes. Um, and uh, and I went in knowing that I liked the movie, but actually, like this time around, it's one of those things where it's like every now and then you just need to rewatch a movie and be like, oh, that's like like a really solid movie. Like like um, about like a month ago, we we, we watched um, what was it? Uh, Live Die Repeat. Edge of Tomorrow, whatever it's called. Yeah. And it's just one of those movies where you watch and you're like, oh, yeah, that's a solid movie. It's a solid yeah. movie, yeah. It was and, definitely fun to revisit it and fun to really realize, like, yeah, this is a strong film. So It's so much fun to watch. So if if, if you haven't seen it in a while, I suggest uh, giving it a rental. Um, I mean, if you haven't seen it and you just spoiled yourself on this, it's watch it anyway. It's still fun. Uh, but if you haven't seen it in a while, uh, definitely uh, give it a give it a rewatch. It's it's a, it's a super it's a super super fun movie. I feel like Harrison Ford would just be Harrison Ford, absolutely, in, in this movie, absolutely. And he would definitely like because he's he's a noble man. He would refuse. Like he's like, you take that chip and get out of here. And Though then, he he does seem like a candidate for the statesman in the in the in the, in the second. Sequel. In the yeah, sequel, he definitely could have been yeah. also that. But we we're not watching the sequel no. yet. Um, but we'll speaking of which, because now we're in the aftermath, remind me: was this movie successful, or was this, it successful enough? This movie was very successful. Okay. Uh, so basically, I, I just couldn't remember. Released in uh, released in the UK in January 2015, in America February 2015. It was one of those things where the the release date jumped around. Like it was like, oh, there's gonna be. You know, March 2015, then it moved up to October 2014, and it moved back to February. So it just basically it bounced around the release date, but it did have this festival premiere in late 2014, December, and that kind of built the buzz. So confirmed that 20 uh, release that that uh, 2015 release date. Uh, it was it had a uh, 414 million dollar worldwide gross with. Um, 24.2 million in the UK and 128 million in the United States, especially on that lower, you know, not as big as bond budget that it had very well reviewed, very well liked and made a lot of money for Fox uh, to the point where um, a sequel was pretty much immediately greenlit and Mark Matthew Vaughn was very eager to do um, another Kingsman movie. Dude, Sorry, Nick just witnessed me having my brain just restarting on something. I completely blank. I know this is skipping ahead. I completely blank that 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 a prequel for this series is coming. Well, I was out. about to mention. Okay, that. yeah. All right, I'll I'll let you get to that. But I it just it, you you guys should have seen it. Like my my brain just went. Wait a minute, like. Because this is one never go ahead. So anyway, right. sequel, uh, Golden Circle. The Golden Circle uh, came out two years later in 2017, and was also not uh, not as well reviewed, but still a very successful mm-hmm. film. Uh, and have you seen Golden Circle? I actually have not. I haven't. I haven't either. Mm, maybe something down yeah. the road. Uh, but the thing is, is like the, what I want to talk about is that this is where Vaughn really takes kind of full ownership of his Kingsman. Because mm-hmm. the thing about the Kingsman is that at the time of the book uh, or at the time of the movie's release it was just the one 
kind of mini comic or the one graphic novel, I should say, just one kind of big set, just the one Kingsman story. Vaughn started developing his sequel completely on his own with no other new source material from Millar and Millar would end up doing another Kingsman story. Uh, but it's completely different. That basically Millar's Kingsman and Vaughn's Kingsman just go on two different paths. And this is where like Vaughn essentially kind of continues to establish that Kingsman is kind of one of his favorite things to go back to because he does the golden circle. Um, and then after golden circle, it's announced that he's developing and going to direct two more. He's going to do uh, one more that's in the Eggsy trilogy. Uh, and then he's also, yes, he was developing a prequel about the origins of the Kingsman, which is The Kingsman, mm-hmm. uh, which was supposed to come out last year. Was it last year or, or this year? I just know it's one of those movies where... It was supposed to come out in November. Yeah. And then it got moved to September 2020. Right. So... Again, schedule for but this year. You know what's weird about that one? Nobody talks about that movie. And guess what? There's a trailer out for that movie. Yes. Oh, it played in theaters. Yeah. No, that a, that is one of those crazy... Like, I'm not saying it's there yet, Nick, but that's New Mutants territory. Mm-hmm. Like, because that's a movie where there was a full-on trailer for it, and nobody talks well, about it. And the thing is, is like, I mean, this is also... We're at the point now where now 20th Century Fox, which has the Kingsman rights and the Kingsman movies, is owned by Disney, and there was a lot of sure, delivering sure. on that end. The other thing about it, though, and the thing that I would have bet money, like just me personally, I was like, oh, so Vaughn definitely directed the first one and maybe he directed the sequel. But I'm sure this prequel is like, oh, like another director has like, you know, you know, Fox is like, oh, we're going to do another thing. And Vaughn's like producing. But no, he's like written and directed and essentially mapped out this entire Kingsman universe and story and franchise, like all on his own, essentially. Like this is his baby now. Mm. And you know, it's he's established like again a separate Kingsman from like Millar's work, and just everything in these Kingsman movies is exactly what he wants the Kingsman story to be. And I think that's very like the fact that he like has the temacity. That's not a word. Temacity. Yeah, the fact that he has like the drive to do like a prequel mm-hmm. that's set in like World War One. That's like not gonna have you know, all the kind of, you're going to have like different types of gadgets because it's like a different time period right. and stuff like that. Like the fact that he's very passionate about this series of films to be like, we're going to do this like World War One. Because when you look at that trailer for The Kingsman, you could imagine it not being a Kingsman movie very easily because yes. it's very much, again, it's like kind of got that style, but it very much is, could just be a World War One movie. Mm-hmm. Just a way that it's like kind of pitched to you. Yeah. No, definitely. It is one of those things where it is kind of like been like maybe that's why like not a lot of people really know about it, honestly. Yeah. But dude, there was a poster for that movie too. Right. It just it got there's a did. trailer and a poster, man. Remember how we talked about how Kong or Godzilla versus Kong was like like they had the benefit of not having any yeah. of those things? That movie that's, And that was the thing too cuz it's also like a lot of this stuff is going on because of coronavirus but that got moved prior to all that cuz I mean it, oh, was, yeah. it was supposed yeah. it was supposed to come out like yeah it was supposed to come out like November of last year and then it got pushed basically a year um because of just you know scheduling or marketing or whatever yes. whatever maybe Hopefully it's only that. Yeah. Um yeah. All right. Well, um is there anything else about not about uh, Kingsman post Kingsman? But uh, it was a fun episode and fun movie to watch. Yeah, definitely. Everybody, um, check it out. Um, ag- again, um, or for the first time. Yeah, if you, if you haven't. Uh, do you know what we're doing for Bond next time? Yes, I do. What are we? Doing? I always know what I'm doing for Bond. Yeah. 
So we're going to continue on our track of looking at the Bond actors in other roles. Uh, next month, we're going to be taking a deeper dive into the life and career of Pierce Brosnan. Mm. And so... What's been fun about doing these other episodes is like going into different genres. Like, you know, for Connery, we did like kind of this, you know, family fantasy. And for Dalton, we had done, you know, or for uh, Dalton, we did sci fi. And, and uh, Craig, we did mystery, murder mystery. So I wanted to do a musical, Mamma Mia. No, Are we doing Mamma Mia? <laughs> no, that would have been a good choice. But no, it wouldn't have. It would have been a terrible choice. Yeah, it would have been terrible. Though it would have connected because Colin Firth is in that. Yes. So. Um, but I also wanted to look at something from Peak Brosnan because mm-hmm. you know with Connery we look something before his career. Well, his name's Pierce Brosnan. Yeah, not Peak Brosnan. I want to go to Peak Pierce Brosnan. <laughs> and speaking of peaks, what better way to do something a little different than taking a look at the 1997? <laughs> you know where I'm going with this, right? Yes. Yeah, I do. The 1997. I- I'm just more. I'm just more impressed by the uh, by the wordplay. Yeah. Like you're you're on you're on uh, spot today. We're going to be taking a look at the disaster movie, Dante's Peak. That'll be fun. Uh, Never seen it. Listen, if I can't get the core on this podcast, we're doing a disaster movie one way or the other. So That's fair. Um, I am in the midst of seeing what is a, um, if my choice for a movie uh, next week um, depends on availability of it. So I don't want to give a promise for what the next Godzilla movie is quite yet. Okay. Um. So, but there will be one. Yes. Yeah. And of course, we'll also have a deep dive in the coming week as well. Yeah. Uh, and that should be fun. Cool. Um, all right. Well, um, I think that is going to be it. Hope everybody enjoyed this episode. And uh, as always, when we get to the end and we've said everything that we needed to say, I'm done. You're done. We're done. So plug away. All right. We have a bonzillapod at gmail.com, facebook.com slash bonzilla007. Twitter.com slash Bonzilla007, like and subscribe on iTunes and SoundCloud, leave a rating and review. All right, and uh, until next time, take care. Peace.